Take two. Take two. Take. I, f- I feel like the first intro we did was good. Good though, but Gary had to move. Not, not Gary Bell though, because we have two Garys on the podcast, <laughs> which we established the first time. And I feel like the in- the first intro we did, even though the other Gary didn't get to hear it because it kept cutting out for him, it was really good and solid. But I feel like we're not <laughs> so- going to be able to match that, so we should probably just get right into it. We got Mr. <laughs> Gary Biggs on the podcast. Hello, sir. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you missed our uh, cocaine story of a guy that wandered into the hotel the last night of the expo with no shoes on at, I don't know, 2, 3 in the morning, trying to buy a drink at the bar who was clearly hammered. Nobody knows how he got there. Tried bumming some cigarettes off Tom, tried buying Tom a drink, even though, <laughs> again, we established that the bar was shut down, there was no bartender. And he just kept trying to buy people drinks. I don't know how he got home. I don't know if he's here on earth with us today. <laughs> but it was a it was a fun little last story of the expo for us. He may have uh he may have had one of those red line drinks. Because <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you, once we uh you know, we got out of town about five and we were gonna make it to El Paso and I'm and I mean I'm dragging it's like seven I'm like oh, I gotta have something to keep me going the next few hours so I just took one drink and it wired me to El Paso we got our hotel I didn't go to sleep all night and I was good all day the next day and next night until I Holy got back crap. to Tulsa I mean it kept me up the whole time those things are no joke no joke sounds like liquid cocaine yes might be <laughs> Jeez. Absolutely. So, I don't know how far back we want to go. I know that uh, Gary, you've been on some other podcasts and and told your complete story of of how you got into car audio. But maybe you could kind of give us a, a recap of how you got hooked on car audio and and what got you started. Yeah. So um, I graduated high school in 1987, and a good friend of mine, Pat Cunningham, he had a, a Monte Carlo SS. And, um, you know, he, it just had the stock system in it or whatever. Then one day he was going down the road and I could hear him boom, boom. I mean, he's just, I didn't know what it was. I mean, that was my first experience to it. Um, so I hooked up with Pat. He had a pair of, uh, Rockford punch 12s in the, in the back of his car. And he had already gotten bit and was hooked and he wanted something bigger. So I actually bought his woofers used from him. Um, and started and before I ever got them installed I didn't realize I needed an amp <laughs> you know what I mean so I had the woofers but I didn't have no way of powering it so I had a uh, so this is in 1987 I had a 79 Mustang um, so anyway so I started hanging out at the same shop that that he hung out at the hi-fi shop in Lawton Lawton Oklahoma and uh, you know it kind of all all snowballed from there I don't I'm sure you guys know Bart Deal Bart Deal actually worked there um, he left, and when he left there, he went to Rockford, and then on the PPI, and now he's at Kicker. But when he left that store, I was hanging out there so much, um, they needed somebody, and they're like, 
Man, this dude's practically living here. Let's just pay him a few bucks to, while he's hanging out. <laughs> so, um, you know, Bob Zwan, he recently passed this past summer. Um, but uh, he, uh, he offered me a job, and I started out in sales. And, um, you know, all the guys there, they all became, you know, great friends and all that good stuff. And um, I had a, this, I don't know if I ever, I don't know if I told this part of the story a long time ago or not, but... Um, there was a guy named Vince Guerrero and Vince was about, he was probably about 15 and a half and he comes riding up on his bicycle, props his bike up, uh, against the outside door and comes in and everybody scattered like ants. They left, you know, left it up to me to talk to this dude. So he's obviously been in a bunch probably, you know, talking their ear off. So he comes in and, you know, I, I don't know any better. I've only been there a few days. So I'm talking to him, and he's telling me that he's fixing to uh, get a big inheritance and some stuff, and he's going to buy him a new Mustang GT, and he wants to do a big system in it. And we had a demo truck. Um, you know, it was kind of the mini truck in craze. It was called Devastation, and it had like 418s in it. And so, you know, I, I go out, and I demo the, the, the truck, and he's like, that's what I want. And uh, so I work him up this big system now. You know, for a, for a Mustang, which I had a Mustang, so I, I knew what the car was all about. So I worked him up a, an inst, a, you know, a system with four 18s, um, a punch 150 on each 18, a bunch of mids and highs, and a bunch of 45s. I mean, it was a big a big deal. It was about 16 grand. And 16 grand in 1987, mm-hmm. I mean, what's that equal to now today? You know, that's somebody coming in and spending 30, 35 yeah. maybe. I don't know. Um so uh so I you know I kind of had that all quoted up and so the kid leaves and so I'm going over it with you know the owner of the store Bob and he's like yeah and I I didn't realize it at the time but they were all just jabbing me cuz they just thinking this kid's full yeah. of shit yeah 100% and so yeah so he's going over everything he goes well it looks pretty good but you forgot some important parts I'm like what he goes well there's no high output alternator no, you know, you need to, you need all the big power cables, you know, uh, no use reason to use, you know, pre-made RCA cables. You need to, you know, we need to do custom built, um, preamp cables and, um, so all that. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I sit down and I get out the, you know, we were a big Rockford house. So I get out the perfect interface book and I'm putting all that together. Well, you know, I add up like another $3,000. So, you know, I've got it there. You know, I got me a little notebook started. The kid comes in in a few days, and I said, hey, um, you know, we, I went over your system, and we forgot some stuff. Need to add some stuff to do it. And he's like, oh, okay, that's cool, that's cool. And so he, the kid disappears. You know, a month goes by, two months goes by, I don't know, quite a while. Um, and suddenly, blue and silver, brand-new Mustang GT pulls up by the front door, and this kid gets Let's out. Let's go. And I'm like, you got to be kidding and so I went to work there. It was in the late summer, early fall. And so now it is around, it's about spring break time, like right about now. Because Bob, the owner, his folks lived in Vail, Colorado. So he was fixing to go to Vail for spring break weekend and uh, spend time with his parents. And so um, now it's time to do this, to do this big job. And... I was like, man, I, I wanted to install. You know what I mean? I wanted to install this system. So I told Bob, I said, hey, he's ready to do this, but he wants me to do the install. <laughs> and Bob's like, he Bob had kind of a, a 
funny little little laugh. And uh, so he, we traded. One of the guys in the back, Doug, came up front and managed the front of the store and handled sales. And me and one of the other guys, David, we uh, worked in the back. And I worked on that Mustang all day, every day. Um, David and I worked on it at night. And we did this install in like two and a half weeks. Oh, wow. But And it was a huge, you know what I mean? It would be a huge task today to do it, let alone then. Um, but man, I was just so, so ecstatic, you know what I mean? Just, and I wanted to show Bob that I could do it. Um, I kind of tricked him to get back there. Um, you know, I wanted to, you know, the kid, the Vince, I wanted him to, to have a cool system and I kind of wanted to prove myself because I had already had, you know, a pretty nice little system in my car. It had like a pair of 15s. I had a motorized amp rack and stuff, which was like unheard of at the time. And I made that motorized amp rack using a Sears cordless drill oh, and gosh. a piece and a piece of all thread. And if you can imagine, I had this amp rack that moved up and down out of the enclosure. And so I welded a nut onto a piece of back strap, and it was on the bottom of that amp rack. So when the all thread spun, it loosened and it went up, and you reversed it, and it spun and it tightened it and brought it back down. So it was like I didn't know about a linear actuator. I don't know if there were linear actuators then, but I made my own. <laughs> you know, it was like super cool. Nobody around southern Oklahoma, North Texas had ever seen or anything like that. So it was way cool. Um, but anyways, I wanted to prove that I could do this big system. And, and it was. It was cool. It turned out great. And Vince and I became great friends. We did several systems for him. When I left and went to a different shop um, down across the border in North Texas, he came down there and we redid his car. And then we got into sound quality and we were chasing Niaska points, going to Colorado Springs every other weekend and stuff. And so he, like always, like all of us, you know, some of your best friends are, you know, the car audio crew that we that we grew mm-hmm. up with and hang out with. So that was really my first kind of start, you know, as like a, I don't know, professionally in the business. But, you know, like I said, I had several little systems in my Mustang, you know, before that. It's funny because typically you got to wait a really long time in your career to get the client who you think is full of shit. And then they end up having the money to do the job. And you're completely surprised. Yeah, it took me a long time to find that client, which I did find that client. And then on top of that. You got to think if that's 87, 88, how much was a brand new Mustang back then? Like a fully oh, yeah. loaded Mustang was probably yeah. 12 or 15 grand. And then he's willing to like match that in audio gear. Yes. And what it was is he was, uh, he was from Guam and, um, I don't know what the exact story was, but he, when he basically, when he turned 16, he got this big, big lump of, of money and he bought that car. He bought all that audio and, and and he bought systems for several other of his friends that we did. I mean, he just, oh, wow. you know, that's what you do when you got more money than you know what to do with, I guess. That's um, awesome. But uh, whenever we were, I'll jump ahead maybe kind of, as I was running around with him and we went to, came up to Tulsa to the IASCA finals and, and he competed and um, he ended up getting like sixth place. I think he was like one point. One point from fifth, and which was like one point from getting on stage to get a trophy, um, which was amazing because, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. But what's interesting about that trip that set the, it set the standard, 
set the pace for the rest of my career. And I even think about this even just a, a few weeks ago when I was working on my car a little bit, you know, changing out some of the product in it. We were sitting at Applebee's one night um, of the Tulsa finals. And we were sitting at one table and behind us, I didn't know it until we just overheard them talking, were some judges. And it apparently were the judges that were judging maybe the the top pro class because they had they were judging the Richards Grand National. And I overheard them talking about how, yeah, man, I took off a half of a point because one of the Phillips screwdrivers on, you know, that held one of the amps in wasn't lined up perfectly straight. It was a little off. And talking about, you know, they were talking about zip ties and wire ties and different things. And I'm like, oh, man, I had no idea. So when I went home, that was my standard. I made sure and lined up every screw and zip ties. I would I had little blocks of wood in my toolbox and those blocks of wood were just as important to me as my crimpers or screwdriver because that's how I put that in the car and I would space my zip ties off that block of wood. You know, I was doing that like I said in 1987. I don't know what everybody else was, but I was just born here, in 1987. Yeah, you, <laughs> right. But just a so, twinkle in his mama's eye. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, you know, just, uh, you know, hearing that conversation out of everything I, you know, I would, you know, and I've said it before, that was probably one of the best uh, pieces of advice that anybody gave that they didn't even know they gave me is whoever yeah, those judges cool. were talking about, you know, the points they were able to take off for stuff like that. Shout out to Applebee's. Yep. <laughs> you wouldn't be where you were if it wasn't for Without Applebee's. Applebee's right. <laughs> that's, that's what I take away from <laughs> yeah. that. Spend yeah, more time yeah. in Applebee's. It will right. lead to a long career in car audio. Right. So did you go back to that car that you that you did, the Mustang, and you saw all the screw heads, and you're like, oh, no. I'm surprised so, at that point. <laughs> so that was, my, that was um, my first experience of seeing the SpeakerWorks Grand National. Mm -hmm. There was also another Grand National there that belonged to Holly Mungle from Canada. I think he was up from around... Um, Oh, the the eastern eastern side of Canada. He had a Grand National and a Ferrari there competing. So being exposed to both of those Grand Nationals, there was a few other guys. I don't remember the guy's name, but his uh, the car was like I think he might have had a Cutlass, maybe a Monte Carlo. It was nicknamed Goosebumps. Does that ring a bell? Gary, Barely. Maybe? Yeah, you're um, you're you're just a hair before my day there. Okay, yeah. So um, being exposed to a couple of those G body cars and everybody ooing and awing over the Grand National, you know what I mean? Because that was the thing. Um, when I got home, I was going to get me a Grand National. Well, no, I wasn't going to get a Grand National. <laughs> I figured out pretty quick I could not afford a Grand National. Um, but I got the next best thing, a regular. Buick Regal that a buddy, a really good friend of mine, Ed Martin had. He also became a great friend of mine um, through the Hi-Fi shop, working on his, uh, building his system. He had a, a little 88, uh, 87, 88, uh, the GMC Jimmy, you know, the little mini blazer mm -hmm. at the time, you know. And we did a big wall with 418s and all Rockford amps and stuff. And, and uh, so he had this Regal. And uh, so I bought it from him, and right off the bat, I mean, my goal was, I, I, I was talking to Ada, um, and shared a term with him a, a few weeks ago. I said, man, my goal was to build a SQ Dragster from that 
from that moment on. That car, in my mind, really was going to have nothing to do in life other than be sound quality car. You know, I wanted to, and that was just my goal was to 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 build the coolest thing I could. And you know, the car was white at the time. You know, and my first big system in it eventually being all Orion, which when we came up to Tulsa for a for the finals one year, it got in a parking lot that my car, trailer, and truck were all stolen. And the oh, car wow. was stripped. And I ended up getting the car back over a few months, but it was totally stripped, you know. I mean, they mm-hmm. took the fenders off, the motor, the doors, the trunk, the, all the stereo. I mean, I literally just got back the body. And, you know, so I nicknamed it the junkyard car for many years because all the parts to rebuild it, you know, came from probably 20 different cars from the junkyard. Wow. But, uh, but yeah, so I started on that, never really looked back at the, at the Mustang, the system, and it finally kind of got taken out and I drove it. And then once I started uh, driving the Regal all the time, you know, I, I ended up selling the Mustang to a, a buddy of mine. And I really always wish I kind of kept it. How did that system progress in the Regal? Like, what were the stages of it? I mean, obviously, there's been a few paint jobs and many systems. Yeah. So, you know, everybody asks me about the paint. Um, and I can tell you, there's been a small fortune spent on paint on that car. So the car was white originally. Um, it was a white limited. It had um, a vinyl roof on it. And it had a maroon interior, but unlike most of the Regals, it didn't have the the pillowy seats and stuff. You know, the ones that kind of real puffy. It had a sport buckets in it and a console, just like a, uh, the T types and the Grand Nationals had. Um, so it was really interesting. I always wondered how it had that interior package in it because it didn't really make sense. I'd never seen another one like that. Um, so the car was originally white. It was the original white paint job. And then once I started working on it, um, I had a buddy of mine. This By this time, I've moved to Wichita Falls, Texas, just about an hour down the road from Lawton at the Hi-Fi shop where I originally worked. So I'm down in, at that store, and uh, the first thing I did that I totally regret is I cut a hole and put a sunroof in. Mm. <laughs> and I can remember, like yesterday, the roof just bouncing when I'm cutting across <laughs> there. I'm surprised it wasn't wavy as, as, a, as an ocean. So I put the sunroof in, and then I put spowl window kit window kits in it, which are still in it, which kind of started giving up on me last week at Master Tech. I'm, I'm oh going to have to figure out a way of repra- replacing them. So I had it repainted by a good friend of mine down there, and he painted it white. And it was a, a Corvette white paint. And it was so bright you could hardly look at it when the sun was was bouncing off of it. And so I put a was started building the system in it. Like I said, I was exposed to Richard's Grand National, but I didn't understand it. You know, with the horns under the dash, um, I didn't know it was horns. I just knew there were speakers under there. And in my mind, I thought maybe it was like a four-inch and a tweeter with a cool long grill or something. I didn't know. So I go back, and what I did is I built boxes under my dash, but it was for a four and a tweeter. Um, Because I just didn't, that's what I thought was in there. I didn't know any better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it actually sounded pretty pretty good, you know, I mean, for, or at least I thought it did. Um, And uh, so it had a pair of Eton four-inch mids, an Eton tweeter uh, under the dash. And if you would have looked at it, you would have thought it was waveguides. And then in the back, I had gotten Orion baskets, had them gold-plated, had them sent them back to Orion and had them um, put together. And then I had all of the GS Gold Series amplifiers. And back then, when you ordered them, they'd engrave your name on it. 
you know, so it's a GS100 uh, uh, designed and built for Gary Biggs or whatever. And Where so, are those amps now? Well, it's I'll get to that here in a second okay, if, we don't, okay. if, we, if we don't run down a rabbit trail and forget. Um, <laughs> so in the trunk was an isobaric box for those two gold-plated tins. There was a big uh, GS500, which was kind of like the big 2100, and then two of the GS100s, which would be kind of like uh, the HCCA 225. And then I had all Eclipse, uh, the GFO, fiber optic, uh, you know, system in it. Sometimes I think I was really far thinking on things because what I did in the trunk, if you could imagine, and it's crazy, but this is what I did. I took cardboard boxes and I put it on a table saw and I cut them one half inch strips. And what I did is all the way around the perimeter from the floor of the trunk up to the edge of the trunk where like the rubber gasket goes, I stood those rubber or stood those uh, cardboard strips up. Basically, I made my own popsicle wall Mm -hmm. and um, super glued them at the base, super glued it at the top, smoothed it in, you know, put a layer of fiberglass mat on it, smoothed it in with Bondo. I remember sitting in that car, sanding and sanding. And I was like, dude, you're a dumbass. <laughs> there's a lot of sanding involved here. What were you thinking? And then I wrapped it in vinyl so there was a window where the where the box was. And then the amps mounted and then a flush trim piece that sat down there. So at the time, there honestly wasn't, there really wasn't nothing else at the time like that. Everybody was, you know, paneling in their trunks and stuff at, at that time. So it really, it was really kind of cutting edge, I always thought. So I get it done. We're running around the country. We're hosting contests at our store so that, you know, to get points and all that kind of stuff. And that was the first time that I met Chris Lewis down in um, from Austin with Pyramid Audio. He came up and was a judge. And, man, talking to that guy that that first weekend, I, I felt like I learned so much about just sound quality. You know what I mean? Kind of what a car is supposed to sound like or what your, you know, what imaging and stuff. I had no idea before that. Anyway, so chasing points and then, you know, went to Tulsa and then the car gets stolen. And I get it back and it's just, I mean, it's heartbreaking. I actually, when I went up to Tulsa to pick it up, they actually loaded it with a forklift and set it on the trailer. Hmm. And I put, I just put tie straps around it like hillbilly and drug it back to, back to Wichita Falls. I downloaded it beside my house um, and I lived on a corner. Which and the road was a pretty popular road, and man, all of a sudden out of the blue, everybody's stopping by the shop because we used to drag race big time back then. We had a little quarter mile section on the south side of town that we had drag race, and I had nitrous on the car, and I couldn't even. McDonald's was one block from our shop, and I couldn't even leave to go to lunch one block away without ripping nitrous for that one block. I mean, <laughs> so addictive. Um, so everybody just thought I wrecked the car. They thought that, you know, I, I, I must have, you know, wrecked or something. And I was like, no, man, it got stolen. So I went and bought another one and started robbing parts off of it to build it back together. Once I finally got it put together, there was a, a red fender, a brown fender, a yellow hood. The car body was white, you know, a, a, a maroon trunk lid. I mean, literally almost every color of a regal that there was. In fact, it kind of became my mission as I was looking for parts to find a different color part. <laughs> Um, just for the, for the, for the fun of it. So then my wife, uh, by this time I'm married to Sharon and, um, her dad, uh, 
you know, did paint and body work. So he repainted it for me, painted it white. And so now it's kind of got its third paint job white. It's original paint job and then white and then white again. And then, so then we moved to Tulsa. Oh, during all that, um, I developed a relationship with Rob Rice, the owner of Car Toys up here, because I'm traveling back and forth doing stuff uh, for Crime Stoppers and going to court because they found the guys that stole that stole it. So I'm coming back and forth. You know, I'm like, I'm, these guys are going to pay. You know what I mean? I mean, um, so I made a relationship with Rob, uh, moved up here, went to work at Car Toys, and really that's when a lot of things started happening because we had customers up here that were willing to let me experiment any of my crazy ideas they were willing to pay for it so it was just it was awesome you know um so i got i became good friends with uh the guys at carefree highway truck and paint and body jeff lander and bob lander and eddie lander and so i was you know doing lots of uh builds for them and the hot rods they were doing and that you know i was really getting kind of involved in that scene up here and um, I was like, man, that orange is so cool on one of the trucks that, that they had done. And Bob's like, Gary, you want to paint your car orange? I said, man, I think I, I think I do. He's like, all right, get it out here. So I was like, well, what's it cost? He goes, you ain't got to worry about that. So, you know, we became good friends. So anyways, I take the car out there. We blow it apart. I mean, not only did we blow it apart, but we, we, we did our own air ride. You know, and there wasn't such thing as an air ride kit or any of that stuff at that time. This is like 1998, 90, 97, 98, 99 ish, 98, 99. So we did our own air ride um, and I mean, blew the car apart, put it on a rotisserie. And at that time, I did some pretty crazy stuff again. While it was on the rotisserie, we rolled it upside down. Um, I sanded the inside of the headliner. I put a layer of fiberglass mat. I put about 30 pounds of one solid layer of lead buckshot. Um, another layer of fiberglass mat. Um, then I took uh, a Dynamat sound deepening. I cut it into two inch squares and I made a checkerboard. And then I put another layer of mat. So the roof on that thing, honestly, wow. is probably about a half inch thick. I mean, wow. you can take your fist and hit the top of it. And like today we had hail up here and I was like, man, I need to pull it out of the shop and put my truck in the shop, <laughs> you know, because I ain't got nothing to worry about. So, you know, because I was, you know, being around different industry people and just understanding strength and, you know, flex, you lose sound and just all that kind of stuff. So the roof became super solid, rolled it over on its side, did the same thing with the with the rear quarters and the side panels, mm, uh, the same thing with right the, there. <laughs> yeah, and and ninety nine percent of the time you you can't do that because you know guys are driving their car or they're just not not where they can or not think about it. So I uh, I added a lot of weight to the car, but not just weight. You know, it's one thing to add some dynamat to keep it from vibrating, but man, I added strength and rigidity to this car. Um, you added you know, buckshot to the car. Buckshot. Yeah, yeah. that's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it yeah, was funny because right there. Yeah, you know the firewall, just everything. Um, so we painted the car orange. the The theme of it came from the Pontiac Le Sabre that Orion built, the purple one. 
it had some graphics on the side of it, kind of mild graphics. And so we kind of copied those graphics a little bit and put on the car when it was orange. Um, so I tore that car apart like in the spring of that year, 99, right? Like literally right after finals when we got home from finals. So it, you know, it, I mean, we're running, it's the end of the summer and I've got no points. You got to, you know, got to get your points for finals. So um, we had a contest at our shop. And so I just got it running like the day before, the night before our contest. And I had that 383 stroker motor in it. You know, it was built to run open header. So it was louder than a NASCAR, man. It was ridiculous. So cool. I mean, when you walk around that car, you could just hear the motor, you know, it sounded like a sewing machine. Yes, it was so awesome. And so, um, but nobody had seen the car, just only our guys at work. So it's almost at the end of the day for the judging. And I start that thing. I back it out and I just ripped across the parking lot and came back and James Feltenberger was uh, doing sound quality. And there's nothing in that car except a seat and a radio laying in the floorboard and a three and a half <laughs> magnet to the to the to the transmission home. <laughs> and he's like he he's looking at me, he's looking at that car, he's like, Boy he just said it like five times, Boy <laughs> It was so funny. I said, By the way, to start it you gotta grab that button you know, between your legs under the seat. <laughs> and so he reaches down, he hits that thing, blah, 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 blah. scared the crap out of him. It was so funny. It was awesome. So, you know, I competed. I got my points. Um, and then I found out that I could actually compete, like, with my truck to earn points that would transfer to my car. So I ran around to a bunch of shows, you know, with the stock system. So I got the car done. It was all orange. Went to finals in Oklahoma City that, you know, drove in the rain you know getting down there that night um so that was that color orange and then right after that um i left car toys and went to work at uh, kicker we went out to phoenix for the car sound magazine's wild west challenge you remember that yep. so it that was a winner take all five thousand dollar entry fee everybody against everybody winner take all and so it was me uh wilson adcock with the reaper um, uh, Steve Brown with the with his blue BMW, yep. and uh, uh, four or five other guys. I don't know. I think there was I think there was seven of us total. Um, anyway, I won. I won the show. Um, but they had us set up on one of the ball fields there at like one of the training ball fields. So like somebody was sitting at like Brownie. I think was at home plate. I was at like first base. I think Will was at third base, and we were all reverse backed into like the point in the pitcher's mound from the backside. And uh, so the whole time, Greg Davis is like, so they had a big stage set up in center field, big band. The stands were full of people. It was a really cool deal. And so when we gave our presentation, we had to we had a microphone. We gave it to the whole fan base. And so they did presentation was scored, installation was scored. Hmm. Sound quality was scored. Fit and finish was scored, um, which was really, I didn't think about time, but it's kind of a big deal because every one of those cars there were, you know, one-off, blown apart, built for a purpose cars. It wasn't just a stock car. So they wanted to see how well they were put back together, that type of thing. So Greg's like, dude, you got to start the car. You got to start the car. Because, I mean, it was it was badass. You know, it sounded like a NASCAR. And um, I was like, no, no, because I'm kind of, I don't know, little... A little shy about that kind of thing, kind of sort of what have you. 
So anyway, so when I'm talking, somebody said, you know, I'm telling them about the ends and everything, and somebody hollered, start it up. I'm like, <laughs> all right, you asked for it. So keep in mind, my car is sitting on first base, doors open, trunk open, hood open, you know, the, the trunk's facing home or facing the pitcher's rubber. And so I just reach in, I'm sitting in there, my butt's like half on the seat. And now keep in mind, it's a 383 stroker motor built by Jerry Robertson, one of the guys here, probably, in my opinion, the best motor builder in this area. He probably built five or six motors for me for different things. He built a big motor for Alma's Bronco and stuff. I mean, they never leak a drop of oil. Awesome. So this is, you know, a pretty high performance motor and it's got a 4,000 RPM stall converter. So now you probably know anybody thinking motor guides think they know where I'm going with this. So I get in there, I start it, and it's sitting there, blah 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 blah. And then so I reach down with my foot and I rev it up. Well, it must have been in reverse. Hmm. No, no, uh, you know, safety neutral kill switch. So when I was revving it up, apparently I revved it up to about 4k. It did a burnout halfway to the to the pitcher's rubber about a four inch rut on two ruts in the ground all the way back (laughs) and i'm like oh they're going to kick us out of here (laughs) anyway so the ground keepers came they were they were not happy but man they had that thing fixed in no time at all so that's a side story but a wind came up and i had a backdrop a kicker backdrop you know behind my car on the display and the wind came up and knocked that display over and it put a big old nasty scratch down the passenger side of the car so when we came home that's when it went back to the paint shop to do the kicker paint job that was darker orange almost red with the graphics and stuff so that's when it got the got the kicker paint job at that time we did uh i mean I, i went ahead and did the frame painted the frame candy apple red um did some more you know just did more work to it more i could afford to do a little more at that time and then you know, a few years down the road when I left Kicker and went to work for JBL, um, couldn't have a Kicker paint job on the car. So, again, blew it 100% apart. I probably spent, I don't know, the whole time I was at the paint shop, I was out there every day. Um, all the rivets that are on the car, you know, I, I, I hit them with the airbrush. You know, I, I helped the undercarriage of the car. I don't know how many gallons of of bondo and smoothing i mean the undercarriage of the car is just as smooth and painted like the top of the car you know painted the 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 frame plate you know to match the rest of the stuff so that's kind of the how it got went made its life through all those paint jobs and why i kind of sort of to have that many wild paint jobs on one car is pretty crazy i always think back and you know you can kind of remember some of the wildest paint jobs you've ever seen and when multiple of those are on the same exact car is Mm -hmm. it's pretty wild if I had it to do over with again, it would have been different cars. I'd have a stable of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'd have a stable right. of them. How, how did the, the famous car audio and electronics magazine cover with you <laughs> and the girls come about? Oh, so that's funny. So um, uh, at the time, uh, Ben was the editor-in-large at Car Audio. I don't recall his last name. Ben O? Oh, yep. Yep, Ben O. So um, we saw each other. I met him at one of the finals or something. You know, he's walking around taking pictures. And, uh, you know, and we just hit it off really good. Out of the blue one day, he calls me up and he goes, man, I got this, I got this crazy idea. 
And I'm like, oh, what? You know, I mean, I had no idea. And he goes, man, we want to do an article on your car and uh, do a big, you know, center, center, uh, you know, spread deal. And we want to put you on the cover. I'm like, all right, let's do this. You know, he goes, but in OU had just won national championship. And uh, so he had this idea. He goes, man, I want to put you in a, in a OU jersey and a whole bunch of gold and bling. And we're going to get some hot chicks and, and uh, you know, whatever, you know. So, um, so it just kind of, it kind of started as a kind of a, just something for fun. But then I added my own twist. So next door to us at Car Toys was a, a jewelry shop called Moody's Jewelry. And I was friends with those guys. So even though it didn't look like it, I probably had a half a million dollars worth of jewelry on. Oh, gosh. I mean, expensive, awesome. high-end stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the ring, the watch. I mean, it's, it didn't look I'm gonna like I'm going to have to much. relook at the cover. You, you posted yeah. that cover not too long ago, didn't you? I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. looking yeah. for it right now. I was <laughs> yeah. going to try to share it, but I can't find it. I feel like yeah. it would give better context if I could see the picture as we're talking. Oh, it's so good. Um, we need, I think we need that's got to be the... We need a producer yeah. for the show. That way they can yeah. pop it up on the that's screen. Right. So we're doing... Tried. Um, Jay missing out again. And so both of those girls actually worked at the jewelry store next door as well. Um, <laughs> really? And and uh, they were also bud girls, bud light girls. And so I was like, since I knew them, you know, hey, y'all interested in this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so we're doing all that. But here's the funny part. So I, I'm thinking, man, I need like a wad of money. I need like a couple of grand. I need a bunch of $100 bills. And so Don Tessier, the manager of our store at the time, he's like, no, man, $1 bills, y'all, $1 bills. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where that stack of $1 bills came from. It's just kind of a joke. <laughs> and that's one of the pictures that they actually actually used. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then not long after that, Mobile Electronics changed the way they were doing their covers. And I think, and I may be wrong, but um, Solomon called me up and he goes, man, we got this new idea. We're going to start um, putting, you know, installer of the year, the top installers on the cover and doing a, you know, start profiling our, the industry, you know, the guys, instead of putting a picture of a radio on the cover or something like that. Um, he goes, we want to do something a little different than the, than, the, than your last, uh, uh, cover. You know, we want to put, you know, you need a tux and whatever. So then that's when we, we did that, did that other one for mobile electronics with wearing the tux and a Dodge Viper that I had just done a big system for a client. So yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I'm literally trying I'm still, to find that picture right now, so I can. I'm, I'm still enjoy hunting for the picture. All the details that you told told us about. Let me see. Even if we got to pause and edit, I'm searching. Yeah, Did you post it, Gary? On we can pause your, for a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I've got it here, pretty close on my phone, because I just took a picture of. I'm going through your timeline picture. trying to find it. Yeah, me too. Oh, here it is, y'all. Because I feel like there's more details that you you haven't talked yeah, about. Yeah, it's hard. Matt, picture. did you see that on when he held it up yeah, on the phone? Yeah. Okay. But I need to zoom in and look around because I feel like there's yeah. plenty of other details that are not what, talked about. Can you? Do you remember what year that was? Can you see on there? Um. Yeah. So this was. If it was Ben, it's got to be like. This was five twenty eight oh one. So it was. Yeah, I was uh, say oh oh one oh two, and on. May May of oh one. You missed it. We used to have a poker game at Benno's house, and um, like him, uh, Eric Haldaway, uh Mike Fu would come by sometimes. Uh, 
I think Todd Matsubura came once. Yato came once. It was like the the Car Audio Insider uh, yeah. <laughs> poker game back in the day. It was good times. All right, and we ready to get back to it, Matt? Are oh, you okay? No, hold on, I found it. <laughs> what kind of what watch did you have on? Do you remember? Man, that was a no. It was a Rolex, and of course, you know, I'm I don't know which model or or whatever, but I remember. Oh, I can't remember his name now. The the manager of of Moody's. He's like, you know what? You can lose all of this, but don't lose the watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you probably felt so silly standing there like that with oh, all that. Oh yeah, it was stupid. Money on your person. Yeah, it was stupid. <laughs> and that was in that was actually in the wide open in the parking lot between our store and the and the jewelry store. Was there um, security guard or anything, or you just no? Just hang it out. <laughs> That's great. so crazy. But you asked, um, you said something while ago. We talked about the paint jobs, about the different audio systems. So when the car was stolen, I mean, literally, I mean, they they gutted the car. There was no AC box, nothing. Everything oh, it was gone. So that's where the under Some damn good thieves, huh? <laughs> so come to find out, it was a group of guys here in Tulsa. And what they would do is they would target vehicles traveling through. They would, you know, steal it or break into them or whatever, because generally people are traveling through. They Insurance pays off on it, and away they go. Um, well, here, dumb me, you know, I've got this car. i got no insurance on it except, like, liability insurance. You know what I mean? Um, so my whole deal was like, well, I'm going to, if you think you found them, I'm going to, well, let's prosecute them if we can. So the guys, actually, two of them, um, went to jail. They got out of jail. They paid me restitution for a few years. It wasn't very much money before they got in trouble and went back to jail. Um, and uh, a funny story. On one of my days off after you know working up here at Car Toys, um, I thought I would just kind of go around and check out some of the other shops. So mm-hmm. I go in this shop that's kind of midtown Tulsa. And I'm walk- looking around, and I see this enclosure over here. And it's got a clear back on it. It's got a clear front on it. It's divided one-third to two-thirds. It's got a couple ports sticking up. They were clear ports. And the inside was trimmed out in white formica, real nice. And I was looking at it going, man, that's a cool box. And I walked by, and I'm looking around. And I came back, and I looked at that box again. You know, it's kind of like maybe, like, I think I know that person. Um, <laughs> and I was like, you got to be shitting me. That's my box. And so I started talking to the guys like, man, tell me, what can you tell me about this? He goes, man, that's a cool box. We've got this really cool fiber optic Orion logo that goes on the back of it. And I was like, you son of a guns. Because Orion had a fiber optic scrolling uh, sign that would be like a store sign like you'd hang in your window. And I took that and loaded it into the back of the box so that when it was off, it was black plexi on the back wall you couldn't see it but then you turn that thing on and it was fiber optic scrolling it was so cool um and so i was like really let me see that and so he brings it out and i was like man that's my box and that's my sign it was stolen out of my car i said we can do this the easy way or the hard way and i prefer the hard way you can let me take it or i'll get detective ely down here he was the detective that was on the case at that time because this was all just barely kind of over and he's like, oh, no, no, here you go. <laughs> he couldn't get me out of there fast enough. So I'd gotten my box back and the fiber optic sign, which I still have the fiber optic sign. I don't have the box anymore. Um, so you asked about those gold amps. So then we had two stores. We had Car Toys, and then we had a store called Discount Sound. 
one somebody came in to discount sound with these black Orion amps and wanted them installed. No big deal. Tim, one of the installers, was started installing. Well, he slipped, and when he slipped, his drill drug across the edge and revealed the gold underneath. And so he knew, you know what I mean, that, hey, so he started looking, he could tell that and somebody had filled in where my name was and tried to repaint it and everything. So he knew. So he calls me. I go over there, and I'm talking to the to the customer. I said, man, here's the deal. That stuff was mine. It was stolen. I'm sure you paid for it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I paid for it. I said, here's what the, I'm willing to do. I'm willing to replace the amplifier for you. So I said, I'll give you this kicker impulse amp whatever blah 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 and so that's how I got the amp back so I got one of the little amps back it wasn't a month later and somebody comes in with a brand new gold series amp well this second amp had somebody had bought it and blew it up or it was broken or whatever they sent it to Orion and they just paid the upcharge for it to be reconditioned so when it came back it had no name on it and so that came into our store. Same thing. I said, man, that's my amp. It was stolen. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I said, I'm willing to replace the amp to get mine back. So I did. So I've got the one amp that's all that grummed up back, and I got a brand new, the other one back. And I still have them both. I'm a pack rat, man. I don't, I don't get rid of nothing. We <laughs> I would just see keep... you posting stuff. <laughs> right. I would just keep that bit going. And anywhere you go, I'd be like, you know what? That's hey, that's mine. mine. That's my amp. <laughs> that's mine. It was yeah. stolen. Any used product. Yeah. You know what's crazy? Uh, Harry Kamur was telling me that he stumbled across one of the 3545s that had been chrome-plated was and was in his Acura. Like 15 years later on eBay, stumbled across it, and he ended up buying it. I guess the chrome's flaking off and all that. But it's like, how do you not? How, how do you wow. not? That's well, crazy. that's. And I remember both times, I really didn't have the money to just pop out and buy somebody off the street an amp but i wanted my amps back you know what i mean um, well i mean you did say it was kicker impulse so right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was it wasn't a big deal um but so during the process of all that um as i was putting the car back together you know i had gotten a heater box and i bolted it back on but i never put ac back on the car um and so one of the guys was like hey man you ought to put a woofer in that into a woofer box i'm like man that's genius so i did so the top where like the blower motor goes i just made a cap that went on it the wires that would have normally powered it were the actual wires i used to oh to, wow. for the woofer but it was hid nobody knew it so i had an upfront 12 inch sub i don't know years two or three or four years that nobody, I didn't show pictures of it. Nobody knew. I always had woofers in the back that were never even hooked up. Um, I always had, like one time I had five of the Kicker uh, XS100 amplifiers, the big cheater amps, but I only used two of them. You know, I had one of them on the mids and tweeters passives, and the other one was on the sub. So it was always, my car really, there's always been a, a kind of an illusion. You know what I mean? There's a, What's there ain't there. What ain't there is there. Um, Keep them guessing. And, uh, yeah, you know, and so so when I rebuilt that, when I re, uh, redid the car um, in orange, that's when I, when I did all that lead shot and all that treatment, that's when I built that sub box. And that sub box, man, guys, I don't know what it weighs, but it wouldn't surprise me if it ain't 100 pounds, maybe even more. 
Because what I did is I started out with a piece of half-inch aluminum that was the shape of the heater air box. Then I cut, and then I drilled the holes for it to mount. So it mounts in the factory bolt holes. I cut the hole out for the woofer. Then I went to Walmart, got a big beach ball, and put there, and I wrapped it in fleece and resined it up good. And then I turned it where the aluminum was, you know, flat like a tabletop, and I mixed up some Bondo fiberglass, uh, a polyester resin, some chopped mill fiber, lead shot, and sand. I made literally a concrete. And I filled the bottom, you know, it's rounded, but I filled that so it was level. So it's about four inches thick. Then I turned it on its side, and the next day I did it again. And I kept turning it. So literally, if I was to take that out of the car and take the woofer out and you looked inside of it, it looks like a square box inside. And, and it's too heavy. I can't install it or in or out by myself. I've always had to have help anytime I, I put it in or out. Um, but again, it was all about building everything as solid as possible. You know, I mean, everything, um, whether you like it, one thing about that car is whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you would do things one way or another way, um, I think it's pretty hard for anybody to look at it and go, well, at least what he did is done right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, overkill, you know, um, kick panels, you know, square steel tubing welded to the car, half inch thick, um, baffle for the speakers to mount. Um, you know, just ridiculously strong. You know, I, I was like, man, if I can build it stronger, that's how I wanted to do it. So that's where that front woofer woofer idea came from um, and then whenever I did it in like I said when I did the car in orange that first time that's when I was like I kind of opened the world and said all right there's a woofer there and it kind of stunned people and then you know it wasn't long after that you know lots of people are trying to find a way of getting a woofer up front because it makes sense mm-hmm. it it truly does and and you you sit in a car at the, at the show and it's a long ways from prime time you know we just got that thing playing and you know got the crossover set and and a little bit of gain structure, um, not really any tuning, fine tuning, um, but it's solid and it's strong. Yeah, it's it's cool because the way most systems, well, I mean, we had this conversation at Expo, but the way most systems are designed these days, they're all designed around three ways and we're sitting very close on the driver's side to a mid-range and a tweeter and very far from the passenger side and getting back into a car where you sit a little further back and you have the path lengths are almost equal and just those hardcore fundamentals mm-hmm. that were that those were the key to every car for 15 years right? right and then the game kind of switched to this this different style and this different setup became popular and it's you sit in your car and even without like EQing you get this sense that you don't get in a modern style system and you get that huge i mean with speakers in the kick panel and the image is so so tall right that the stage height is so tall compared to a, a modern style system and you just don't get that it's it's strange and wide strange and cool yeah you know yeah. you know and just the width you know i listen to um you know, I've kind of been away from competition for, for a while. You know, I got pretty chasing it like, like we did, you know, when Mark and I were at, at JBL and Kicker before that, competing was really part of our job. I mean, there's not many guys that had a factory paid 
car audio job where your job is to compete. And that was really, at, at, like I said, at Kicker and at Harmon, that was our big part of our jobs, what we did. Man, I can tell you, me and Mark have put several hundred thousand miles behind the wheels of a truck and trailer. We've hauled our vehicles all over the country, up to Canada, every, literally almost every state in, in the U.S., either to a show or a demo at a distributor or some kind of a training event or something. So, you know, whenever I kind of hung the keys up, I mean, I was kind of burnt. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in here lately, though, I've kind of turned the corner and I'm kind of getting excited about some of it again. Um so, you know, I've kind of been away from it and really haven't kept up or listened to a lot of the, the more relevant cars of today. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I do, though a lot of them sound great and they're just, they're pinpoint, you know, this, that. At the end of the day, um, they're not concert on wheels. And they're not what I'm used to with, with a two-seat type kind of deal. And I've always been lucky and fortunate and the audio gods have always been with me where I've had a two-seat car that's always imaged really good from both sides. Might not be perfect from the driver's side, might not be perfect from the passenger side, but you can jump in either seat and absolutely go, I would take this over, you know, a large portion of whatever else is out there. And <clears throat> so, you know, there's a, that's what I'm used to. You know, that's what I like. And, and I've always, I probably shouldn't say this, but every system I've ever had I've always there's always been limitations you know what I mean whether it was mm-hmm. um, this product or that product or something I've never really been in a position where it's like man I can put whatever the best thing in the world I think <laughs> is whether I'm right or wrong mm-hmm. right I, I can put the best of whatever I want in in the car yeah um, you, were, you were fortunate to have good backing from manufacturers the whole time absolutely. but you also have to stay loyal to those manufacturers mm-hmm. and right. mm-hmm. and a lot of times that means sticking with one brand that may make one product really well but maybe one thing is yep. the limiting right. factor in yep. the system yep i agree with that so uh you know and um you know hard work perseverance a super strong foundation the su- a found super strong foundation um, if, if I was going to offer a piece of advice, and I do it all the time, is you just can't start with a strong enough foundation. You can make far inferior products sound really good mm-hmm. if it's installed correctly. And when people think installed correctly, they're thinking, okay, you know, eight, six screws, eight screws, wires probably terminate or whatever. That's not the install. <laughs> right. <laughs> that ain't the install. That's you. You installed it. The installation is the foundation and everything else. I mean, put your, uh, you know, my house, uh, if it was sitting on a sandstone foundation, it would have crumbled mm-hmm. by now, but it's on a good, strong post-tension foundation. And, you know, it ain't, nothing's going anywhere, and that's why the house still stands. Well, I make this analogy to, to clients when I talk to them on the phone all the time is that they have to realize what, OEM manufacturers do with complete crap audio equipment and how good it sounds today based on proper tuning, right? Because yep. that's so big today. It's just proper tuning with DSP and a lot of uh, shops out there just literally have no clue on tuning a car. And you got to just look at what the manufacturers do with the cheapest product in the world and how good 
they can make that product sound, right? Yeah. So I had a similar conversation today with one of my dealers down in uh, uh, Louisiana, um, talking about some of the systems that comes in some of the uh, Polaris side-by-sides and stuff. Um, but it goes with exactly what you were just saying. So when I was working for Harmon, there was a period there that I worked fairly close with the guys uh, up in Elkhart, which were the team that designed a lot of the OEM systems that Harmon built for the different uh, vehicles. You know, there would be one brand, you know, uh, Mark Levinson for a, for one manufacturer, JBL for another manufacturer, uh, Crown for another manufacturer, you know, the list goes on. And so those guys would get a vehicle. Um, sometimes it would be a current vehicle. Sometimes it would be an early production vehicle or even a, a prototype that wasn't even visible yet. I had a car come to them that they worked on it. They put the audio system in it. It had foam nuggets taped to it and wrapped when it got to my place. I didn't even know what it was and wasn't allowed to look. You know, so those guys will get a vehicle. And the first thing is design a system for it. Then the second thing is, okay, that system has got to come to us at a landed cost of $350, literally, or maybe $1,000, whatever. So can you imagine, how can you put any kind of system in a car, tweeters, mids, a radio, processing, maybe a woofer, for that amount of money? So the fact that they can do what they do, Mm -hmm. I know a lot of guys go, oh, that company built junk. Or, you know, that that JBL system in that Toyota's junk or whatever. In actuality, it's pretty kick-ass if you knew that there was almost no money allotted exactly. or allowed for exactly. that system. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, you know, the team up there would put systems in the cars and then um, they'd come down here. We'd do some initial fine-tuning. I would make some beauty panels, make grills to, you know, make it uh, where it could be presented back to them, you know, to... To see if we would, uh, you know, get the get the job or whatever, get the contract. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, the the OEM guys do, and I used to be the same way. Them guys suck. I can't believe they can't make something sound better. <laughs> no, man, you're pretty awesome because yeah, they do. It's kind of great like, stuff with what they're given. Yeah, and, it's like, and it's all it's getting worse and worse because it's exposing more and more of the shops out there that don't know how to tune a car. Because if you can't closely even match what's there. Right. Right. Then you're screwed. You're absolutely screwed. And the problem is, is, you know, a lot of people tuning the car again, don't know, can't sit in a car and understand phase. Like you can, you can adjust something on an RTA all day long and hit your target curve. But at the end of the day, if you have phase issues, if you have, uh, voids and nulls somewhere and you're just, you, you just keep adjusting different frequencies to hit your target curve. Yeah, you have your target curve, but it's it could be completely wrong, right? It doesn't right. mean you're done because you hit your curve. Right. No, you're right. I feel bad. I have I have customers who bring cars to us to fix, and literally, my wife has a car that has a factory Infinity system in it, and it would smoke half of these yeah. systems that these guys are dropping, you know, three to three to eight grand on, and like her factory system. Uh, outperforms them in volume, tonality, mm-hmm. uh, subwoofer output, like all of these things. And it's a factory system. It's, well, it's crazy. You're right. And you just said something. So several years ago, um, I was going to put a system in my BMW. It's a 535 uh, 2013. So this was about 
14 or 15 when I decided I was going to put a system in it. And so um, it was right after Marcus and Andy and I uh, launched AudioFrog. And so I'm going to put all AudioFrog speakers in it, right? I mean, that's what I should do. And But I didn't really know what I was going to do for amplifiers. And so um, I was talking to Chris Bennett with Audio, audio Control at the time. He's like, man, let me send you amps. I'm like, all right, no problem. And because Audio Control was a very safe brand in my eyes. They didn't make speakers. They just do amps. Everybody seems to play and get along well with audio control. You know what I mean? Uh, it just was a good, safe option. So I put, um, I started putting a system in the car. And then he was like, man, bring it. Would you bring it to Knowledge Fest in Dallas? I'm like, oh, man, I don't really have time to do a nice system. I'm not going to bring it down there and put it in the front. You know what I mean? I just was wanting to do a kind of a stock replacement system, make mm -hmm. it sound better with our stuff. Um, I was like, man, I don't have time to do this trick install to put in front of all my peers. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, I buckled down. I did a cool trunk install in it. And I, uh, uh, they just launched their DM810 processor. So I put mm -hmm. a uh, processor in it and for the first time ever in my life I set it up for one seat driver's seat and it sounded sounded great and it demoed and everybody loved it and everything no big deal I get home me and the wife and kid we go out to eat you know we drive my car when we go out and one day my wife goes I thought you just put a system in your car I go what do you mean she goes man this sounds like crap I'm like what do you mean and uh, and then it dawned on me what she meant because it did it sounded terrible for her and then naturally my kids she's got to chime in and start chirping at me yeah it sounds terrible from back here too you know blah 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 I'm like well it sounds fantastic over here so um, a little while later we uh, we came out with our little up mixer and so I put the little up mixer in there and I added a center channel and so now I've got great sound from everywhere because now it's back to the similar Logic 7 system that came in the car that sounded good from every seat, right? Um, and so I got that all in there and dialed in and we went to dinner one night and my wife's like, you fixed it. Sounds great. <laughs> and so that was the biggest thing that gets me. You know, some of these customers come in and uh, they got this awesome car. And it's got, quite honestly, an awesome system. They want it better. Maybe they really want it louder. Maybe they want more bass. I think there's probably a lot lost in translation there. And then they end up getting a system that's redesigned for one seat. So, you know what I mean? You really kind of went backwards for the guy, I think. Now, if that's what the guy absolutely wants, and that's give him what he wants. I mean, you know what I mean? That's what we're here. You want something, we give it to you. Um, but you, you know what I mean? I think you got to find out what the customer wants and what the real needs are and everything. Because, you know, like I said, my wife is like, you're supposed to be some great car audio dude. You know, blah, blah, blah. I'm getting the ninth degree, as you can imagine. That's wild. Well, I don't know. Your wife's got some attention to detail. I'd be shocked if my wife knew what color car I drove. Oh, my gosh. So we, let's see, we got history up to, well, you just mentioned Audio Frog, so so Harmon and Audio how, Frog, yeah. How did how did the Harmon to Audio Frog leap? How did that leapfrog happen? Ooh, well, good segue. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So when I went to work 
when Mark Eldridge and I went to work at Harmon, we had a, our first year there. It was a it was basically a marketing contract. I mean, Mark and I uh, I had a shop here. Mark was living in Stillwater. I lived in Tulsa or Bixby, right outside of Tulsa. The entire time I worked at Kicker, so I drove back and forth. I commuted for several years. Um, how, how long is that drive? It's a if you leave at five forty five in the morning, it's about forty five minutes. But if you leave at 5.50, it turns into an hour and 15 minutes. Ugh. It's the craziest thing. So uh, um, about 45 minutes to an hour. But, man, that hour commute there and that hour commute home was probably the best two hours of my day ever. You know what I mean? Because, <laughs> you know, it's it's Gary time. You know, I can I could call and order supplies or order parts that we needed or you know, or take parts back and forth. You know, we're you know, running errands for the company back and forth to Tulsa and stuff. So, so it really worked out fine. And I didn't, you know, I don't mind driving. Um, so the first year, we just literally the first six or eight months, we worked on our cars, um, you know, converting them over and everything. So that's that's what we did. And then we competed. And that's when um, Harmon, uh, JBL was kind of rebranding the brand. They, uh, Launched all the Crown, the big Crown uh, SPL amps, all the Crown series sound quality amps, all great product. Um, you know the GTI woofers. I mean they, you know, a lot of great product. There's there's more engineering and two rooms that in Northridge and most other companies have combined. You know what I mean? We uh, and then after that first year, they hired they hired me on um, full time, and so. My part of my job is I continue to compete a little bit, but then I was working between the U.S. and Asia, kind of a liaison between the, you know, with with uh, um, sales and stuff like that. Um, Andy and I, I I reported to Andy, but we both reported to Mike Giffen, VP of, of, of Twelve Volt. So I just my job was to support the Asia distributors and our sales team over there. You know, did a lot of trainings. There's probably, there's not very, there's not, probably not, there's probably not very many countries over there or country that I haven't been to and done a training or visited or something. And it was a pretty, pretty rigorous training job, I guess you say. What was I mean, the coolest like place said, you got to visit? Man, there's several. That sticks out, several like places. the people or. You know, probably the coolest thing that sticks out to my mind, because I even thought about it today, was in Kuala Lumpur seeing the big uh you know towers visiting you know mm. uh i think one of the james bonds movies were you know they mm-hmm. he walked across the, the bridge the sky bridge or whatever i can't even think of the name of the the towers now uh but that was really cool um the uh uh mongolian beef in mongolia is the best <laughs> no shit <laughs> the best but honestly probably the best uh meal so I think Andy and I probably, um, we probably think a lot, of, we relate what we mm-hmm. ate to what country it was <laughs> a lot of times. But one of the best meals is Thailand. They actually have a, a pretty uh, large um, Italian community. So if you can imagine hmm. going to your Italian, your mother being Italian, your father being Thai, and both sets of grandparents get in the kitchen and start cooking a home cooked meal. I'm sure that's amazing food. It I can't even describe it. I mean, I think my my my, my mouth is watering right now thinking yeah, about mine it. Mine too. <laughs> so uh, that was uh, that was always great. And you know, just um, 
you know, Indonesia is awesome. Um, and probably uh, there's lots of reasons to love Indonesia, but probably one of the biggest ones is just the friends, the distributors there. Mm-hmm. You know, after after a while, you become friends with some of these guys, and then you become really good friends. We had distributors uh, where, you know, I mean, it was custom that, hey, the first, first night that we're here, Gary's here, you know, it's a home dinner at their home. Um, oh, just wow. different things, cool. you know. Um, I, uh, you know, Bali, Bali was cool. Um, just that's a tough question. What because was the most obscure food that you tried that oh, you weren't like a like you're like I, I shouldn't do this, but you no, got I got a story. Pressured into no, I got something. a story. So one of my f- one of the early trips, maybe uh, maybe my second year into working at Harmon, we are in. I'm pretty sure it's South Korea. And, um, you know, this was... Now, keep in mind, this is about 2003 or four, Okay. Maybe five, somewhere through there. So it's been 18, 20 years ago. And what was one of the big things, TV shows that was popular on TV at that time? Fear Factor? Fear Factor, absolutely. So we're at dinner. And Grace is like, you know, we're talking. And now keep in mind... I'm traveling enough that I can kind of understand the conversation, but not really. <laughs> so I'm I'm picking up on little things that everybody's saying. Just tell me and, you didn't end up drinking like donkey cum or something. Uh, oh, no, God. no. <laughs> there so, was an uh, episode where they had that. And <laughs> it was revolting. <laughs> so, and I'm one of these guys who I'll eat anything. I mean, you know, I don't keep this girly physique by being... <laughs> being stingy on what I eat. Meals. Yeah. So we're at dinner and they're ordering food and Grace, you know, we're talking and Grace is like, and I hear fear factor come out of their mouths two or three Uh-oh. times. And so Grace looks that's over and goes, Gary, you like fear factor? I'm like, yeah, I thought we we're talking about the TV show because that's popular. And everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Out came the crazy. Uh-oh. And so the one thing, and I mean, I, like I said, I'll eat almost anything. So, well, so I need to back up. Let me back up. <laughs> Everyone's just wondering what, what you had. I'm like so, envisioning. There's so like I got a, no, like no. A, so real yes. going to the back of my brain. So I got to tell you this. I got to tell you this story because it'll tell you where my mindset was on the rest. Okay. So one of my first big trips over by myself. You know, Andy, nobody from from the U.S. markets went just by myself, and it was about a two two and a half week trip. And I'm meeting with uh, Mike Giffen, and he's like, "All right, you know, he's kind of giving me the." The four one one on everything. He goes now. They're gonna. You're your guest of honor. You're you know they want to treat you right, take care of you. You're gonna be the head of the table. So, you know, just accept it and go with it because they want to treat you right. So we're at dinner, and uh, they order you know different things, and this big old fish comes out. I mean, it's a big dude, like two foot long, and it's the whole fish. Like they cook the whole fish, and so. One of the one of the guys is like, "Oh, Gary, you get the head." I'm like, "No, I don't want the head." <laughs> no, you can have it. No, no, Gary, you you get the head. Guess the honor. So, they break off this head to this fish and hand it to me. Well, I knew that something like this was coming. So I'm I've had you know several Johnny Walkers by this time, so I'm prepared for the head. So it gets over there to me, and I just take my chop, and I'm and I can use chopsticks pretty good. So I'm chopping off that fish, and I'm just eating it. And everybody's like, "Yeah, you know, you eat it." I mean, I'm eating it like pork rinds. Well, come to find, and I ate almost that whole 
fish head. Oh. I really didn't want to, but I did. <laughs> Come to find out, the delicacy of the fish is the cheek muscle. Oh, okay. That's like the best part of the fish. The, and so that was the deal. Had I just ate the cheek muscle meat and pushed the rest away, I'd been fine. But no, I'm eating the whole thing. <laughs> so that's my mindset, right? Mm-hmm. So we're you know further down the road, the next town, the next city, the next visit. And so they're bringing out all kinds of stuff, and I'm eating it. I'm like, I'm like, well, I guess this ain't too bad until I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's called the bala or something. And what it is, it's like a chicken or a duck egg. But there's that, if you can imagine that chicken or duck, these were duck, I think. Like there's a day window or two day window where it turns from uh, soft cartilage or whatever to okay. starting to be a bone you know starting to be hard and and the, like the feathers pop up that day too i guess oh, and so they bring this thing out and it's like one day too old and all i can imagine is wally coyote eating the roadrunner i'm like man oh. whatever i do don't start coughing up feathers <laughs> so yeah that was that was tough that was hard to do and it did not taste good it was too, too much for me. Oh, I would I would have bowed out. Yeah, <laughs> you know the, when that fish came out, I would have been like, I gotta go, I got a thing. Oh, but yeah, I could tell you some I could tell you some crazy stories about the the food. But man, the food is awesome. It's just different than what we've been growing up. You know how we grew yeah. up. Um, and uh, um, but yeah, so yeah, lots of great places, lots of great people. So, anyways, um. As we become better friends with the different distributors and such, um, you know, it would become a common joke that, Gary, Andy, you should have your own speaker. You need your own speaker. We're like, yeah, that'd be fun, whatever, you know. And time goes by and, you know, there's never no play on it or anything. And then Harmon started going through some big changes. Um, You know, there was a, a private buyout that, that took place and just a total change of upper upper brass and it just changed a lot for everything i i got a um you know i got a new boss that was like a ghost boss i never seen or heard or talked to the guy months would go by without any communication so anyways during about that time um you know uh myself and and andy and and marcus started you know we started so marcus handled you know, VP of Asia Pacific market. So by this time, you know, we're, you know, Andy and I obviously are good friends and great friends with Marcus. And so one thing leads to another. And about the time I left, uh, shortly after that, Andy left shortly after that, Marcus left, you know, we went into developing the the speakers and launched the GB series speakers, um, high end speaker. We, uh, probably should have come out with the entry level a little sooner or you know because you know but it's one of them deals where you know do you really want to come out and the yugo be your flagship vehicle or do you want to have something higher in mm-hmm. um so you know that's that's where all that and just to clarify to the to the audience that doesn't know gb stands for what um my my initials <laughs> so yeah yeah kind of funny um and they're great speakers i mean I don't know if either of you guys have ever used mm-hmm. them, played with yep. them, installed them, but uh, great speakers. 
you know, we sat down, Andy and I sat down and spent hours and hours and hours thinking about different things. And, um, you know, Andy coming from an installer background and myself, you know, installer, a lot of the stuff was installer driven. And I told Andy, I said, man, no matter what, no matter what, the first thing we need to do is we need to make sure that the speakers accommodate an SAE hole saw. Because mm-hmm. all these years, we take a hole saw, you drill it out, and either it's too large for the speaker and it's sitting in there wiggling, or it's not big enough and you got to sit there and carve it out and you end up having a jaggedy edge or something. So that's what we did. And that's probably was our one of our biggest uh, things that installers loved was how well they installed, how well they fit, how well all the um, installation parts and everything were thought out and, and everything. Now, when developing a speaker like that, how many prototypes do you physically look at until you settle on the the final run? So, there's probably um, there's probably several ways you can look at that. If uh, if you're taking product off the shelf, mm-hmm. you know, open tool product, you may have to maybe not go through many because you can pull off tried and true parts and components that other brands have used. Or you can develop everything from scratch yourself and do everything the right way, the best way from the get-go, and you don't have quite as huge of an obstacle maybe to deal with. Keep in mind, those speakers, every every part of every speaker was, was tooled down to the mounting screws that holds the speakers together. And a couple reasons for that was, um, and Andy was big proponent, is A, I don't want anybody saying or thinking that we robbed their parts or I don't want somebody mm-hmm. saying well that looks like a Dyn audio or that looks like a scan mm-hmm. speaker or that looks like a this or that or whatever as well as the fact that if we own the tooling and it's it's all ours it's harder for somebody else to take that stuff off the shelf and make something that looks like it you know mm-hmm. going on 10 years now right at 10 years nine nine or ten years um, you know there's there's no knockoffs you know what I mean? There's really nothing that even really looks similar. Yeah, it would be so expensive to knock it's way off. too expensive for somebody to sit down and, you know, tool all of that stuff. They're just not going to do it. But had we gone to um, a, a manufacturer and let them design and tool and everything, and now that becomes, you know, house parts, after a certain amount of time, you know, they potentially sell the you know, the off-shelf tooling parts to whoever. Now somebody else has got something that looks like it. And another question, too, based on designing a speaker from scratch. Obviously, it's got to sound good, but it's also got to look good. So when developing the speaker, do you start with performance and then try and make it look good? Or do you kind of do both at the same time as you're messing with the parameters of the speaker? So I think probably every company that that sits down and is on a mission to develop a speaker, um, you know, wants performance. I mean, and keep in mind, sometimes uh, a higher performing component also looks good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It In its development, it's just a better looking part, you know, a higher quality material. So some of that goes hand in hand. Some of it's twofold. Like I said, with the, with the GB series, it was definitely about... Um, uh, a high performance speaker um, and then obviously having something that that looked awesome too yeah they are great speakers we uh, we don't use them a lot but we are a dealer and we do we do use them and 
man, those GB60s, we actually just took a set of customers trading in a car and we just took them out. Um, and they'll probably get transplanted to his new car. But I was trying to find another six to go back in its location. And one of the things that I forgot how much I loved about that speaker is how how small of mounting hole it is for a six inch driver. And like you can fit it in places where other people have a massive six and it it punches like a bigger driver, but fits in a smaller hole. It fits in it, a lot more locations. It's funny you say that because, you know, uh, a few several weeks ago, whenever I was replacing the product in my car, it, my mind was, okay, we're putting these thesis amps in, the thesis speakers. Um, you know, I don't want to accidentally fire this thing up and um, smoke a mid or smoke a tweeter. So I thought, you know what? The last thing I'm going to do, the last thing I'm going to do is replace the speakers. I'm going to get everything playing and everything. So everything was flawless. Um, I went to uh, Jimmy Bradfield. Um, you know, uh, we worked together. He came up and was going to help me one day, a couple days when I was kind of down to the down to the wire. And so I pulled the Audio Frog speakers out, and those thesis speakers weren't even close to wanting to fit. <laughs> so back to like I was talking about earlier, you know, and you can if you ever talk to Jimmy, you can ask him. So I unbolted the, the, the aluminum baffle that bolts to the steel that's welded into the car. I unbolted the bolts all around it. It was silicone in. So I got a, a big uh, chisel and a 10-pound you know, uh, uh, hammer, and I'm just trying to break it loose. And even I told Jimmy, I was like, and I mean, it is like, it's like rocky pounding on a slab of beef i mean it is solid it ain't metal <laughs> ringing and tinging and jimmy goes i guarantee you there's nobody that is taking a sledgehammer to their kick panels without their whole car just blowing up but that's what i had to do to get that you know that aluminum baffle out so i could build a new one for the new speakers <laughs> um but yeah you know something that i was thought was going to take me you know maybe an hour per kick panel ended up taking all day Never happens to me. Never. <laughs> Never. Yeah. But you're right. Very small footprint for a for lots of for a lot of output for a great speaker. Yeah. yeah. And the big tweeter too. Uh, I think it's GB15. Like one of one of my favorites. Like yep. you don't find um, you don't find large dome tweeters that handle power, play low, don't have a bunch of resonance, have a decent sized chamber on the back. Like that's just yep. not in the normal car audio realm. And it right. definitely is a, a step above. Those, the speakers, you know, they, they have a lot of, there's a lot of, I'm just call it technology, stuff that's available to any company out there. But think about it. Every time you add a dollar to a speaker at the manufacturing, at the true manufacturing level, you know, you probably turned it into $30 or maybe more than that at the consumer level. Yeah. So it's it's amazing. You know, a little copper ring, uh, you know, that, that costs 50 cents ends up costing the consumer $35. Well, can you get by without it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, a lot of companies. It's amazing. I learned a lot through, through all of that, um, looking at other people's products and going, yeah, that's a... It costs a dollar fifty to build that speaker. <laughs> <laughs> Here's yeah, another question: be... Was there was there any other names other than Audio Frog that you were thinking about as like the name of the company? So that's very interesting question. Um, so like what was it almost if it wasn't Audio Frog? 
No, believe it or not, it was basically Audio Frog literally almost from the get-go. That was Andy's deal, um, his wife, Lisa. You know, and to be honest with you, even all these years and everything, I still don't really know exactly the story. <laughs> um, okay. But keep this in mind. This is one of the things that we I do remember um, us talking about. Um, I told Andy, I said, you know what? I don't care what it's called. I truly don't because it's going to be awesome product and people are going to buy the product. Now, there's a little bit of resin and, you know, rib punching that comes with it. Um, but all in all, here we are, you know, eight, nine, ten years later, and it's an, it's an accepted brand, uh, mm-hmm. just like a just like any of the other brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But one of the things, part of the conversation was we also wanted to appeal, you know, to mark other markets around the world, Asia market, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. something that's popular overseas, characters and, and things, you know. So it we wanted something friendly. We wanted something that that uh, kind of did a trick, you know, uh, you know, leaping over the competition, different things of that. Now you could put whatever spin okay. on it, but yeah, to be really honest with you, that's a that's really a question for Andy because, like I said, I I really just kind of it didn't matter to me. You know what I mean? It could have been mm-hmm. called anything, and I really does. Didn't, I really didn't care. It does really stick out. Like if you if you say it to somebody and they've never heard it before, they're like, "Excuse me, what'd you yeah. what'd you say?" Yeah. And right. so it it actually draws them in a little bit. Not it's very only intriguing. that, yeah. And so I even noticed something at Master Tech last week when uh when Brian would have um the uh, screen scrolling with the exhibitors' names and stuff, and you know whether it's because I'm, you know, kind of sort of intimate to the brand or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. my eye is drawn to it it pops out just usually quicker than most of the any other brands um so it's, it's effective it you know there's um it ain't a brand it ain't a name where people are can move a letter around and turn it into a, a nasty <laughs> slang or something you know what i mean i mean it's yeah it's, it's uh, i mean to me it's it's very well thought out because it looks very elegant the speaker design is very elegant um you know, it from a design standpoint, it's a really good brand, brand name, logo. The just looking at the speaker, it's super clean. I mean, you guys did a really good job on on all that stuff. That speaks volumes because there's a lot of other companies with way more R and D and balls behind the company, and you know, you guys developed a better product than a lot, a lot of other companies out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So there came a day where you were no longer working at Audio Frog. Yeah. So, you know, that was a, uh, you know, it was a, a pretty tough time. So like any company, um, we started out and we hit the ground running. You know what I mean? Did everything that a company needs to do and needs to do. And, you know, and we have a high end product. So I'm sure, you know, I'm sure GM doesn't sell as many Corvettes as they do Sparks or whatever, you right. know what I mean? <laughs> um, so, you know, we, uh, um, you know, we started out, um, you know, fairly well funded, did some things that were probably smart and wise, probably did some things that may not have been as smart and wise, but it got to the point where we just, uh, you know, the sales were, were beginning. You know what I mean? A new company, a beginning company, and so um, you know it's uh, it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to pay you know 
three guys a, a bunch of money to, you know, one living in Singapore, one of the most expensive places in the world to live. And then, you know, uh, another guy in L.A., which is like the second most expensive place in the world to right. live. Luckily, I'm out here in Oklahoma, the armpit of America. So, uh-huh. you know, it's it's easy to live live out here. But, you know, it was just... It was just a tough deal, and I was talking to Hector, uh, that owns Momentum, um, and uh, you know we're just talking about different things, and he's like, "Man, you know you ought to." And I had worked for Hector before. He's like, "Man, you ought to, uh, you ought to uh, think about coming back to work for me." He goes, "You know, last time when you was working with us, you know we picked up Rockford, and it helped our company. It was a big deal. You know, you were a big part of helping all that come come to happen." And he goes, and now we, we got an opportunity to pick up Kenwood. And if we can pick up Kenwood, we'd have Kenwood, we'd have Rockford. You know, you add up these big brands, and it's like, man, we're, we'd be the, the real deal. And so, you know, I contemplated on it, thought about it, prayed about it, all, all kinds of things. And then, you know, I just told Andy, I was like, man, I got an, I got an opportunity to, to uh, uh, you know, go back to work for Hector, you know, managing and selling in my territory, Oklahoma, Arkansas, North Texas. And I said, and you know, I can pay my bills and, and Audio Frog doesn't have to worry about trying to pay my bills. And so it just made sense. So it was a good a good clean break as far as that that's concerned. Um, you know, Marcus and Andy and I launched the company. Theoretically on, on paper it's still all three of ours. You know, one of these days we'll figure out the details. All good. And and how many years has it been that you're in the rep game? So when I first left uh, Harmon, I went to work for Hector for four and a half years, managing, you know, like I said, Oklahoma, Arkansas, North Texas. At that time, actually, I did all of Oklahoma and half of Texas, basically Dallas North, which was huge. Still, you know, I mean, ridiculously huge. I did that for about four and a half years. During that time um, is when the Audio Frog stuff was in the works. Once it was ready to launch, then I left Momentum, and then that's when we did Audio Frog. Um, that was about four and a half years, and then now I've been back with Hector for five. Wow, time flies, huh? It does. I mean, all everything I just mentioned seems like, you know, I mean, I can remember it like it just happened. Right. And so tell us about the story of getting your car back on the road and putting it back together and the, uh, the road to Master Tech this year. Yeah, so, you know, the car's been... So when we launched Audio Frog, I put all Audio Frog speakers in it, and we had it in Texas at Knowledge Fest that first year. So that goes back to about, oh, seven or eight, I think. And you've owned Some, it the entire time. Well, right? so at one time, so I've had the car all the way back. I did sell it slash try to sell it once. Okay. Um, right after I quit competing, um, kind of retired it, um, and did that big magazine spread where we took took the install apart and showed behind-the-scenes pictures of the front woofer and the kick panels and wiring and just some of the cool stuff. A friend of mine that I had known for several years from car shows and audio competitions, um, he contacted me and wanted to know if I wanted to sell it. And I was like, man, not for sale. He's like, oh, come on, man, everything's got a price. So I threw a number out, and he's like, all right, I'll buy it. And I'm like, well, 
I need to do a few things. I need to dumb it down before I sell it to somebody. Because right now, you know what I mean? It's it's my puzzle. I know how the pieces go together. And um, it's been setting a while. It needs new batteries. And I just need to I just need to dumb it down a little bit so that you could take it and enjoy it and all that kind of stuff. So I started on doing that. And then probably just the best way to say it is um, that deal fell through and he wasn't able to buy it. And so then I, the car was already taken way apart because I was mm-hmm. going to do, at that time I was going to do new, new door panels, do some, do a lot of different stuff to make it his car. So it ain't mm-hmm. Gary's car. You know what I mean? Anyway, so that deal fell apart. So the car just set in pieces. And when I say in pieces, I'm talking it's on jack stands. It's got no doors on it, no hood on it. Oh, gosh. Um, no wheels on it. Um, I mean, it's it's blown apart. It's because I'm stupid, and that's what you do when you're going to work on a car, right? <laughs> you blow it apart and, you know, leave no stone unturned. I uh, put it back together, took it down to uh, Knowledge Fest, had Audio Frog in it, demoed it, brought it home, and parked it in my... I got a three-car garage, and I parked it on the far side of the garage, and it became a it became a clothes hamper. <laughs> There's no telling how many T-shirts were stacked up on that car. Years and years and years of audio shirts and jackets and everything. It just sat there. I mean, and, you know, I don't even, for the longest, I didn't even have a key to the front door. I would go in and out the garage, and I'd wake up at midnight. You have to get me something to drink or go to the bathroom. And I'd go out and look in the garage. Hey, is that thing still out there? You know, I'm just so used to passing by it. About a year, about um, SEMA, not last SEMA, but the one before. So like one and a half, two SEMAs ago, like a year and a half ago, I was talking to Rob Wimpy um, at SEMA, and he's asking me about the car. Hey, what are you going to do with that? I was like, man, I got a, I got a couple other projects going on. I ain't got time to mess with that. Well, if you ever want to do anything, let me know, and we'll help you with whatever you want for it. So I just let let it be. I saw Rob again, and he's asked me about it. And well, well, just let me know, let me know. And I said, man, you better quit teasing me and quit quit uh, saying that because I've seen what you have in your catalog, <laughs> and it won't be basic amplifiers if I do something. Well, just give me a list. So I sat down, and I was like, ah, if I'm really going to do this, the only way I would do it is if I'm putting whatever the best that whatever company has to offer. You know what I mean? It would it would make no sense to take Audison as a brand and put their entry level products in my right. car because mm-hmm. I'm gonna if I'm gonna tear into this, it's got to in my mind it's got to be worth it. Um, so I put a little proposal together. Um, I put a list of product together. I sent it to Rob, and he calls me up and he goes, "Hey, I got your list." And I started laughing. And I said, yeah, I bet you did. And uh, he goes, well, uh, let me let me get a hold of Massimo and the guys from Italy. I might need a little help with this. <laughs> I'm like, all right. And you know what? A few weeks later, I pull up at my house. I see a bunch of stuff on the porch. And I walk up. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. That's awesome. All that stuff stacked up. And I'm like, now the hard part starts, right? And now you got to build it. Yeah, so amazing i had so this you know so that that all takes place you know like about this time last year back in the spring and i really thought about and just coming home from master tech 
seeing the trunk that you know was the big fab project that everybody did I'm like man that's what I want to do to the car I want to take everything out and I want to kind of return it back to a little bit more of a daily driver type kind of a car and then I started messing with the car and I'm like oh I can't do it you know this what I've got in there is just to me was just too cool you know the dash looks like it was just built the doors look like they were just built the trunk looks like it was just built there's no cracks or flaking paint or nothing Plus, it there's a like lot it, of nostalgia in there. You're just yeah. like, I don't want to touch it. It's right. too so nice. I, yes. So I started talking to McNulty, and he's like, dude, just swap the product. It makes your install easy, and it keeps the car being the car. And I was talking to Brian, and Brian's like, hey, get that thing running and bring it out here, and we'll put it on display. This was before swapping the product was really a part of the part of the picture. So then, you know, I just started putting the puzzle together. I'm like, all right, you know what? Get it running, change out the audio, take it out to Brian's show. Most of the dudes that are there don't even know what a Buick Regal is. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> At alone, a lot of them have never seen that car. You know, and that was the big thing that I got from everybody. It's like, man, I've heard about it, but never seen it. So it was really cool, you know what I mean? Exposing everybody to the car because it is. It ain't Speakerworks Grand National by no means, but it does still kind of carry its own weight, you know what I mean, in the in the industry. There's probably a dozen cars like that. You know, you got Fukuda's Blazer, you got Wayne's mm-hmm. Terminator, you know, you got, uh, you know, there's just, there's a Gary, some of the, you know, the Alpine vehicles, some of the Rockford vehicles, just some of the things out there. There's, you know, there's a handful of cars that they are what they are. And so, you know, McNulty's like, man, just leave it all like it was, swap the product, and and that'll be cool. So really, I don't have much time in swapping the product because everything was kind of just replacing something that was already there. Um, Just a little bit of relocating some wiring. But the car itself, getting it to run, was an absolute nightmare. Because you can imagine sitting all those years... The gas tank, when I drained it, so I, I dropped the gas tank, and I didn't know how much gas is in it. It must have had about a full tank, because I pumped out three five-gallon buckets, 15 gallons. Oh, gosh. And that gas was orange, you know, from the rust and buildup in the tank. Mm-hmm. So, um, new gas tank, new fuel pump, new fuel lines, new injectors. The injectors turned out to be the biggest deal, because... When I built it, when I had that engine built, um, a motor builder here, Jerry Robertson, uh, built it, and he deburred it and sanded it and made it slick as glass. And then I had it painted. It's painted purple to match the car too. And then there used to be a a, a shop, a place over in uh, Arkansas called Street and Performance. And back then they were big on all, all the tune port stuff. The LS1 swaps were just starting to come on, and I almost did an LS swap, but I was always in love with the tune port from the IROX and the Camaros, and that's what I wanted to put yep. in the car. You know what I mean? To me, that fit the car better. So I bought their Brodix heads, all their internals, the all that chrome tune port and everything that's sitting on it, and had all that done. Well, we I couldn't get no fuel to, to pass the injectors. All eight injectors were clogged up. So, man, I bought probably five sets of injectors trying to find the right ones and I finally found a set that fit right 
and it seemed like everything was right except one of them leaked fuel really bad. Why just one? I don't know. So I'm friends with uh, James Goad, which is Reaper SS on the uh, 405 Outlaw, you know, the uh, Discovery oh, yeah. Channel race car race show. Um, I used to do a bunch of uh, audio and stuff for him and his brother. So I called James. I'm like, man, I need your help. Do you have any injectors that I can get for the car? He's like, well, what do you need? I'm like, man, I really don't know. And he's like, well, you can't just put anything in there. If you got something that's too much volume, you'll run too too rich. Not enough volume, it'll run too lean, and you'll wash out your, you know, you, you'll have problems. He goes, why don't you just get your original ones rebuilt? It never entered my mind. He goes, here, hang on a second. Man, right there, he's on the phone. This is now, keep in mind, this conversation is at 5.15 in the morning. Because um, he gets up early, I get up early. and um, So he Googles, and he finds a place up here in Tulsa that rebuilds injectors. And it's two miles from my house. Literally, <laughs> two miles from my house. So I take the those injectors over there. I meet the guy. He's a cool guy. He uh, says, yeah, I'll, it was going to take me about a week to get them. I'm like, oh. I said, man, is there any way? I explained to him what I'm doing. And he's so this, I dropped him off on Friday evening, Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. He calls me. He goes, hey, man, I got your injectors done. So I go over and pick them up, $15 a piece. <laughs> and he's got a dyno injector and everything. And he flowed them. They were 48 and a half pound injectors. Well, as you know, that's that's pretty serious. That's the injectors that I had that I found for it that I was going to try to use were 26 pound injectors. Oh, gosh. So I was, the best thing that ever happened was that thing sprayed gas all over the place. It right. freaked me out. You know, because I had to, I had to top into that engine apart three times. I mean, nice. and I'm not really a motor guy. That was a big. That's I'm in desperation. You know what I'm saying? For me to pull that apart and and to work on that. Um, yeah, it's tough when you're not confident on something like that. Right, right, and not really knowing. You know what I mean? Um, so anyway, so uh, got the injector, those new injectors in there, primed it, played with the, you know the. Uh, step by step you know with the fuel and everything and then all right here it goes and i hit the key and it fired up purred like a kitten and i was like you gotta be joking i couldn't believe it that's couldn't awesome believe it. so yeah getting the car running was a huge deal so i put it in drive i made sure it moved forward i put it in reverse made sure it goes back and so all that's done well then i'm talking on the phone it's me rob wimpy Dwayne from electromedia and schmidt and so we're talking about some different logistics. And Brian's like, uh, no, somebody said something about carpet. Do I, you know, I, I, so I have a big carpet mat that from Matworks back in the day that I popped the carpet on. And Brian's like, well, yeah, you ought to bring your carpet. Because if that thing leaks, I said, leak. I said, this <laughs> thing, honestly, it's never leaked a drop of oil the entire time I've had it. I mean, Jerry was the best. He 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 died um, not maybe a year ago, but he was the best round track race car motor builder. He built the 383 motor for me. I mean, he the, his process is awesome. And like I said, not a drop, nothing. I told Brown, I said, "Are you crazy? This thing don't leak oil." <laughs> um, but you know, after having it at the expo, um, I've uncovered that you know I do have a brake issue. The brakes are very spongy i probably need to uh work on that and the power steering pump squeals like a blower or something so it's got a couple issues yet that i've uncovered since but uh yeah so my my uh uh advice to anybody is 
don't every month go out there and start it something because man it was it was a small fortune getting that thing uh working and running as well as in the heartache and the headache and the mental freak out doesn't even compare because you know here i am thinking i've got all the time in the world really because this should be simple stuff right and then your next thing you know you got your engine half apart the gas tanks down, yeah you know? but but there's nothing like a deadline like that like committing to something like that like does that not remind you of the old school days of trying to get ready for it whether yeah, it's it the CES or a SEMO or yeah, it reminded me why i quit it doing it <laughs> right right <laughs> something about having that that such a hard deadline and um you know, it always makes you say, you know what, that's going to work. That's we're going to run it. We're going to run it that way, and then getting it drivable. And I mean, that's well, especially feel great. when you've taken such a hiatus and you're a little bit older. You're like, I wonder if I still got it. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It just hurts more in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So I'm underneath the car replacing the batteries, and um, you know, and I was like, I remember one night. You know, it's two in the morning. And I was like, oh, this didn't hurt getting under here. Why does it hurt getting out? <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, we're not. How, how stoked are you that it's back together, though? I mean, Man, I'm pretty, so cool. I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty excited. I, uh, I can honestly say that, um, in my opinion, like I said, everybody's got their opinion. But in my opinion, I've got the best amplifiers made in the car. Um, if the speakers aren't the best, they are very close to it. Um, you know, I mean, the speaker wire is silver speaker wire. You know what I mean? I mean, just just ridiculousness that I never was able to really have or do before. And I'm telling you, and you listen to it, for that to be like a foundation starting point, right? it is going to be really awesome. So that's what I'm really stoked about because I can't tell you how many... Uh, times I would turn the system on the first time and be like, yeah, this is going to be a long road, long <laughs> road to hoe. So we have a question for you. What what was the first song you played when you fired it back up? Oh, that's a good question. This is no lie. So after, and I used to piss people off, like after a show, when I was done with the show, Queen, another one bites the dust. I'd play it as loud as I could as I'm driving out of the convention hall or driving away from the lanes or whatever. That's awesome. And that was I thought the first... you were going to go safety dance. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that was the first thing I played. And the uh, and so here's not only that. So I'm going to add to that. Over all the years, you know, I'm a slow adopter to technology. I truly am. Being in the business, I should be on top of it. Um, but um, people used to ask me, man, What's the difference in high res and CD? And I'm like, ah, there ain't much difference. You know, what kind of difference can there be, right? Well, let me tell you. After um, playing high res files in the car compared to CD, and keep in mind, I got it at Denon Z1 in there. In my opinion, probably one. If it ain't the best CD out there, there's everything else is an equal. You know what I mean? Right. It's a great CD player. And I was joking. I was like, you know. Cassette is your best friend telling you he just got a new girlfriend. <laughs> you know what I mean? CD is, oh, he came over and told you they made out. You know what I mean? All right. And then high res is you stole his girlfriend from him and now you're dating her. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, there's a huge difference. And um, when I was setting the system up, as I was installing the different things, 
you know, I'm I'm setting levels and game matching and just listening, you know, making sure I don't have any noise issues. I got a little Radio Shack speaker because I'm old school and that's how I'm setting levels and stuff. And, you know, it don't take nothing to distort one of those Radio Shack speakers. And on my workbench, and I've got the Denon radio. I've got this little Beacon streamer from Audison. I've got an amp. I've got everything benching it, hooking it up. And... I can go full throttle volume up to 60 on the high res player and it not distort that little realistic Radio Shack speaker. I was really impressed with that. It sounds so good. You almost want to put that little Radio Shack channel speaker as your center channel in your you system. Could. I'm yes, telling you. That one time, <laughs> sounds like that one time you're out getting points. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so when I turned that thing on, and I mean, I immediately went straight to Queen. Another one bites the dust. I'm turning it up. I'm turning it up. I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. Next thing you know, I'm at level 60. It's max volume. And I, I get out of the car. I'm walking around my shop. It's like I've got a concert going on in there. I mean, it's so loud. It's so clean. It's so crisp. I don't have any tweaky... You know, I ask uh, sound quality stuff on the high-res player yet. Um, so, you know, even at Master Tech, I really wasn't able to. I know a lot of guys wanted to listen to the car and wanted to hear some finesse. And like I said, it really ain't ready for prime time yet. And I don't even have any of that for us to listen to. But yeah, man, it's awesome. And that's always been one of my one of my favorite favorite songs. As a kid, when I was in third grade... I had a next-door neighbor. His name was Mike. He was a, uh, a mechanic out at Fort Sill Military Base, but he had a shop in his backyard, and he was always building and rebuilding his Harley-Davidson motorcycle. He was actually um, in the Hells Angels way back when, after getting out of the military. And so that guy, um, he had a boy that was my age, and we would work on our bikes. Every time his dad was working on the Harley, I was working on my Huffy. So was Mike, little Mike. And so I really learned how to use my hands and learn to make stuff and mechanic on stuff at that time. I mean, I'm, I mean, I don't know how many third graders are wrenching on stuff, but I was. I mean, we were rebuilding our bikes, doing all, you know, like a lot of kids were. But, um, but he had a radio in his garage, and I remember, I can remember it like yesterday. Another one bites the dust. All those songs from, you know, late 70s you, if you ever want to get into a music quiz I can probably hang with the most because I can relate a song to a chick I was dating or you know uh, somewhere I was driving down the road or something you know what I mean I just relate to it awesome. what song reminds you of the shittiest chick you've ever dated uh, <laughs> <laughs> you give know, me a song <laughs> man uh, there was a song from White, uh, Great White because I dated this chick that was pretty crazy at a, during that time when they were popular. <laughs> those, those are uh, memories. Those are songs we're supposed to forget. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, I feel like, Gary, you and I need to do an episode revolving around the gray area of like high-res media. because and, and that's the fun part about having like Andy on is – you know, he takes the opposite stance against that media, which a lot of the stuff he says is completely 100% true. Just because it's labeled high res doesn't mean it's high res. Obviously, true. there's there's a big push with these record companies to resell media, right? So, like, 
there is no such thing as Credence Clearwater in high res, right? Anytime you're talking about these tracks, they've been remastered. So part of what you're hearing is perhaps how it's been remastered. And you're hearing an entirely different version of the track than you've heard before. And you're finding it way more interesting. Is that high res? No, it's the fact that it's been remastered and there's been artistic liberties taken when the track was remastered, right? Another thing might be because of, you know, the DAX of the unit creating a lot more separation within the track. And you're like, wow, this is incredible. Is it high res? No, it's not. But I'd like to not use high res and just say kind of like the best digital version of the track available or the best version of the track available because that's pretty much what it is. It's not necessarily high res, but at the same time, there's a lot of things that have been remastered and they've stripped the noise out. Uh, it's a little bit more dynamic, but then again, you get into the argument where, you know, Andy would say that anytime something's been remastered, the tape is cut and the dynamic range is lost. So it's technically not as dynamic as it was originally, right? So it's, it's like an argument that can spiral out of control in both favors of people who believe in both different stances of the technology. But at the end of the day, I think it's just trying to give your client the best way to enjoy the music that's out there, right? And I think at the end of the day, that's what it is. Yep, I can agree with that 100%. But yeah, we got to do an episode on that one day. Yeah, we'll have to we'll also have to see if there's a list of um, actual high-res albums that are available. Right, right. and yeah. I will say that more modern music, so stuff that's recorded today, it's natively recorded, at least in like 2444, 2448, some 2496, but obviously going beyond 2496 is kind of irrelevant in my opinion just because of like the Nyquist theorem that states that an octave below the sample rate is kind of where you can perfectly reciprocate an analog waveform and most speakers are not gonna you know play above technically 48,000 hertz and or the electronics right. you're Right. Pushing it all through. Absolutely. There's a good, right. there's a great argument all the way around that. And I think yeah. uh, at the end of the day, you can't deny the the science and the physics of it. Um, however, what you did say, though, is very true. And that's what everybody's trying to accomplish is, um, like you said, they want to sell, sell albums. They want to sell music and reissuing it, calling it high res, resampling, right. making it a little, you know, different or whatever. They're, you know, it accomplishes that. Mm-hmm. And there's also nothing wrong with experiencing something new. It's no different than a, a haircut or a new hat. You know, and that's why I always love having talking to Andy. And I think, you know, having him on the podcast and being able to have those debates back and forth. Like, he takes one stance, other people take another stance, and there's truths to both stance. And it's trying to understand what is happening between everything to find the common ground because we both agree with each other. But at the end of the day, it seems like we don't agree with each other, right? Because right. again, especially a lot of the stuff that I do, I generally always sell like the high-end Astell and Kern high-res player. And that is the main source of media that we're playing the best version of music on. And nobody will ever sit in one of those cars and not tell me that the separation of Pink Floyd money is better on Bluetooth or any other source 
as it is on the Astel and Kern because the Astel and Kern is creating way more separation. The width and depth is completely different on that player versus me streaming it from my phone at whatever the sample rate may be. It, it's not the same, but the difference technically isn't because it's high res. It's because of two twofold, right? We're using much better DACs and we're listening to a DSD version of the track that's been remastered. So technically it's, it's, it's a different track than the one that I'm playing on iTunes or whatever. Right. That's your first problem. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you guys redoing all these, all of the older um, nostalgic cars, I'm pretty sure you're going to see in the future that there's going to be a, a few other ones that might make an appearance because of this this wave of nostalgia coming back oh yeah it's a it's actually amazing the guys out there that that still have some of the cars have um, you seen any of the uh pictures of uh earl zassimer's bmw getting oh, yeah. rebuilt mm -hmm. yeah it's pretty crazy no it's awesome um, he's taking it to a, a crazy level to restore that thing yeah so uh mike you know because i'm all you know i Every now and then, I get nostalgia. I want to show show off of all my old junk. Um, so Mike contacted me and he goes, "Hey, would you happen to have a this old Sony um, Mobile ES digital switcher?" I was like, "Dude, are you joking? Of course I got one. Probably got a couple." <laughs> um, so I hooked him up with one so that he can control multiple changers. Nice. You know, probably I'm not going to say I've got the only last couple in the country, but probably. <laughs> Probably. You know, I mean, he was this. I mean, you know, he's scouring the, the earth trying to find one and didn't have any luck. So, yeah, no, that'll be fun. That'll be a neat, neat car. Neat when he gets it all back then. Yeah. And then I thought Wayne Harris was supposed to have the Terminator at Master Tech this year. I thought that at one point was. <clears throat> so about this goal. time last year, he uh, he was getting pretty busy on, you know, get, uh, same thing. Had to get it running and, and everything else. But it's just a huge, huge undertaking. I think what he wanted to do was show up with that thing with all working gear like it was. Uh, well, yeah. there's you know he's got Rockford Z sliders and stuff in there from the late '70s, um, and uh, and I've got I've got several brand new in the box. And I told him I was like, hey, oh, gosh. I said if you want if you can't if you don't get yours working, I've got new ones. <laughs> so uh, and I helped him. Uh, locate a couple uh, alarm things and stuff and then you know and then mark mark's wanting to start on his uh on his blazer and i just found some at a shop i found some that's going out of business i found some new in the box brand new vsc quantum alarms so oh I, wow so i picked them up and shipped them down to mark nice. so now he's gonna try to be able to get his quantum working you know awesome that's so cool. so yeah it's cool there's probably, and I like I know for a fact, like uh, the Speaker Works Grand National. The last time that uh, Mark and I traveled out there to finals, now keep in mind, it's been a while. Thing is taken apart. It's in a bubble and it's in a hundred pieces. You know what I mean? But it's sitting there. It's crazy to walk in there and see that car sitting there. And it Someday, could be put, man. it could Someday. be put the back together just like that. It could go back together quick. That would be How awesome. cool would that be, right? Someday. So, yeah. It would be cool to see like all the old iconic cars come back to life or what could come back to life and then can compete with modern technology <laughs> and see, you know, because obviously 
back then everything was engineered in a way where a DSP couldn't help you like it does today, right? right. So I think that would kind of even more show the best built system. It would just be pretty cool. Yeah, no, you're right. I agree with everything you're saying. Here is where I think we're at. And this ain't a dig at nobody. It's just the reality of it. Let's just say, however long ago, 100 years ago, um, what we think of as red today, what if it really started out as blue? And every year it slowly changed its uh, appearance until it started to appear as what we could see as red now. Does that make sense? But it happened over such a slow period of time, nobody recognized it or realized it. Mm -hmm. So what we call red looked like it was blue however long ago. I know that might be a crazy analogy. But where I'm going with that is you got to compare that to today's judging. Because mm -hmm. what the judges looked for and wanted out of a system 20 years ago is totally different than what they are wanting sure. and looking now because the car has changed and just your perception on what sounds good or whatever is now quite a bit different. Um, I think that um, it would be very interesting um, if, like you said, a lot of those old school cars, if they're dialed in, set up right, if they were in the lanes and you're sitting there and you got a car with kick panel speakers and whatever, and you've got this giant sound stage that's literally window pillar to window pillar. And it sounds like it's on top of the dash, and it sounds like it's just so big, it's just like a band coming through the windshield. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you compare that to a, uh, a modern car where, you know, there's speakers on the pillars, and though it sounds great, everything is in a two-foot spot in the middle of the dash. You know what I mean? There is no giant left, no giant right. I mean, I've listened to some, you know, some of the best-sounding single-seat cars lately, and they sound great. But I'm like, all right, there's nothing. There's really, we're, there's no left channel. There's no right channel. It's almost all like a weird mono kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Kind of, it's. I don't know how to describe it because I ain't been around what everybody's doing these days long enough. Um, and I'm getting reacclimated to it, um, but I have a hard time believing that a car from 15 years ago, the best cars then, could not absolutely stand up with anything that's the For best sure. cars today. I, I think the biggest difference is, I, I think the trade-off is, is that the newer school competition cars have a very focused soundstage they're they're very detail oriented but they don't have the dynamics and they don't have the big sound and when i went to mark eldridge's place this year and i got the you know i got that experience that i think is great is listening to a set of money monitors and then listening to a bigger set of monitors and then listening to a big set of pa speakers play the same track over and over it's it's almost like what you're describing you know that trade-off of the smaller drivers and the detail and that really tight image um versus that big sound and it is a very different sound and it's very hard if you had a score sheet in front of you to quantify this qualitative assessment of these two very different systems that are 
kind of two different purposes. You know, if you have a small room or a recording studio, you're listening to that, you know, you know, dual five and tweeter or six inch and tweeter, or eight inch and tweeter setup. That's, that's super detailed, but it's not going to fill a big room or make a small room f- feel big. Remember I was talking about my buddy's blazer a while ago. There's a picture yeah. of it. <laughs> and then I just remembered I had these in my drawer. Remember the amp rack and the Mustang I was telling you about? Yep. There's the top of it when it's <laughs> down flush. Clean wire challenge right there. Clean wire <laughs> right. before it was cool, right? <laughs> right. There it is, where it's halfway motorized up. That's cool. The punch 15s, and then you'll see, and then here's another picture of it almost up. So it had two punch 45s and an OEQ1 on the front, and then on the back side was a little XV1. Wow. And all that, and then there's the, uh, I took a uh, lock unlock switch and wired it to the, to that. Mm, Okay. mm, Drill motor, motorization. rolled it up and down. <laughs> yep, the drill. That's so silly. I love that. It's so clever. Before it's ain't that funny? Yeah, right there, baby. I'll just next year. I'll just send in a picture. Right there, you go. <laughs> that's Bates. old school next year, clean wire challenge. <laughs> that's the old school original original street wire uh, fuse blocks. We were just talking about that the other day. Like I. I wish there was like a dedicated badass wire company these days. Like we we had street wires and um, what was what was the one with the weird name? I keep wanting to say Timpani, but that's not it. It's um, also it'll come to me. But there was Vampire Wire, Street Wire, Perfect Interface was the Rockford stuff. Phoenix Gold had their stuff. Esoteric. Um, esoteric was uh kind of. Like I don't. A, I don't know if Esoteric was. Streetwire after Streetwire or Streetwire came after Esoteric but it was basically the same company. Oh, Tiff. That's Tiff. what I was trying to yep. think of. Yep. yep. Tiff had some really nice looking stuff. Yep. That was the high-end like the... Streetwire version of the Streetwire stuff. So so much uh so much effort on that stuff and now it just seems like everybody just like here's my generic this mm-hmm. that. Um actually like you're you're repping Audison. They have some cool distribution blocks and yeah. stuff now too. Yep. Yeah, very cool. Um, the Audison is really a great brand. It's a really great product. We do well with it. It sells great for us. So yep. whether you think it's the greatest sounding stuff or not, it's definitely the coolest looking amp out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that amp rack in the back of your car is impressive. <laughs> it, it, that's the one that you don't see very often, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, and it was very straightforward. I mean, it, it that mounting platform is where the big JBL amp mounted. So I just made a, a piece of plexi that mounts on top of it, basically. Um, backlit it with, with the neon and mounted the amps right onto it. I mean, it was really a very, very simple, very straightforward, luckily. Luckily. You know your OG when you call it neon. Did I say right, neon? Right. I meant LEDs. You did say neon. <laughs> but hey, that just complements your your oh, your time in the, in the in the industry. That's funny. I love it. I, man, I, I guarantee you, I have installed way more neon than I have LED. <laughs> <laughs> man, you remember those underbody kits, and then the um, what was the uh, the high voltage? Was it EL or was it? I'm trying to think what those other tubes we had for a while. The the transformers would buzz like crazy. Uh-huh. You know, that's that's the other thing that 
that the kids of today just don't get, Gary. Oh, I know. All those old cars had noise gates, mm-hmm. <laughs> noise problems. <laughs> like, you know, uh, I I, feel uh, like that's I probably um, pat myself on the back the most, even to today, uh, on troubleshooting because I have dealers all over my territory and guys all over the country really um, will call me or send me a message about something troubleshooting related, and I. I generally have a pretty good idea of where to send them to, to get started because when I started installing, part of your install was troubleshooting every single oh, car, yeah. every car. Mm-hmm. In, in the summer of 1987, whenever I'm working on a Honda with that had a delete radio delete panel and I'm adding an antenna and a radio and running wires because there are no wires anywhere in the car and doing an amp and doing whatever, then I also got to know, okay, and you would figure it out, didn't know why, didn't understand, you know, open-ended outputs or balance or any of that stuff, but you started figuring out, okay, when I install a Sony cassette, I need to run a ground trace from the RCA back to my amp or whatever. But when I do a Concord, I don't have to. You know, some people are saying, Concord, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> I probably installed a Concord every day of my life for the first two or three years of my being in a business. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Matt, this is before every amp. <laughs> the majority of amps came with differential inputs. And, I know. Every time he uh, keeps talking about 1987, I was just like an embryo. <laughs> yeah. 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 When, but, you have uh, to, when you have to worry about, you know, somebody somebody comes back, hey, you put a system in my car a year ago, and all of a sudden it's got noise. Yeah. Well, have you done anything to the car lately? Well, I had the spark plugs changed. Right. Oh, they put non-resistor plugs in, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. So in 1990. I think it was 90, I took the very first MECP test in Dallas. There was about 40 oh, wow. guys in that took the test. And I remember one of the questions was, what size wrench do you use to put on a, a cell brand antenna, universal antenna? Oh, I mean, gosh. that was one of the questions. It's like 13 16 or something? Yeah, I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to see the look on Matt's face as if yeah. I actually knew. I don't yeah. remember. But that was that was the kind of questions that were on the MECP test back then. I remember the first question. The 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 well, the first question on the first test that I took was, uh, "What's the first thing you do before, or what's the first step of any install?" And it was making sure there were no tools in your pockets. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when yeah. I went to work at the hi-fi shop, um, I mentioned that um, the uh, one of the guys, Doug. And I've kind of re- gotten reacquainted with Doug in the past year. Awesome guy, showed me a lot of stuff. But he had a he had a toolbox in the shop. And when I first started, you know, installing back there, he's like, Gary, you can use any tool I have, but you got to write it down on this piece of paper. And he taped a piece of paper onto the wall. And I'm like, oh, well, he just wants to make sure I don't lose anything. And so this is no lie. So that first two or three days, I wrote down whatever thing I used. The first time the snap-on guy showed up, he <laughs> walks me out there with that piece of paper and says, this boy needs one of each everything on here. <laughs> so that's, awesome. that's that was my uh, how I got started on what tools I needed. And That's awesome. The very first ever uh, air tool I bought was a Blue Point uh, little air saw. I still have it. Oh, wow. Had to have it back then because every, every car was metal. You had to cut holes for every door. I mean, I remember, and you'd never do it today, but I remember cutting the dash on several old 68, 69 GTO 
cars with the oh, walnut, you know, with the walnut wood trim, cutting that out to put a, a DIN radio in. So I, I think I've told this story once before on the podcast, and you're, you're of, you know, you even predate me a few years on on starting your install career, but I remember working at Circuit City, and I had only heard about the most legendary, most difficult car to put a radio in. And all of a sudden I looked down and I saw one on the schedule and I'm like, I want it. I want to try it. And in rolls a Datsun B210. As far as I remember, you couldn't fit the radio in from the front of the dash. You basically had to cut the dash out, slide the radio in behind, and it was notoriously like the most difficult car to put it in. And I remember I remember cutting that dash out and I was all excited that, you know, I had conquered the, the hardest yeah. car to do at the time. Uh, in the old Jaguars with all the fiber optic cables that go around to light everything up and it's all the foil oh, yeah. bent over on the back. I mean, oh my God. I might have nightmares tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Those were good times though. You know what? I'm so glad that uh, I tell people all the time, I said, man, I'm so glad I kind of got my start at that time because, um, so, you know, like not long ago somebody asked me well, man what what would i have to do to get a job like yours oh, and i'm gosh. like i'm like you know what <laughs> you know i mean luckily i got into car audio when that's all it was was car audio you know what i mean i learned and i developed as the industry developed you know what i mean um granted you know there was car audio before my time but not many years before only you know, I got into it in 87. They started building real car amps and stuff like in the 78, 79. So it was a very infant, you know, car audio was in its yeah. infancy, really. So having got into it and learned all the good, the bad, and the ugly from the very beginning, you'd almost have to have an engineering degree, a, a, an acoustic degree, a sales and advertising and marketing degree. I mean, all the things that, you know, we've just picked up and learned because we've been been here for so long you have to be a woodworker an upholstery guy mm-hmm. an electrician yep all of, all of that Thanks. you know and like when i was in high school um we had uh we had wood shop we had metal shop and and then ffa um had like their own shop it was more kind of like mechanican you know and i mean i took all that stuff i mean i was all about it my uh, very first box that I built for my Mustang, built it out of birch plywood. I stained it, dadoed all the corners, everything. I mean, it was built like a cabinet. You know, that's why it's hard to find installers and stuff nowadays because they're just not exposed to it at a younger age. You know what I mean? Like, like maybe a lot of us were. Yeah, it was definitely, I, I feel like it was more widespread back then. But I've been, yeah. man, I've been so lucky. I mean, I've traveled the world over car audio. You know what I mean? And I got friends. I mean, it's it's silly. You know, like on, you know, I mean, I had to delete people on Facebook so I could add other people here recently. Um, you know, they max you out. I mean, I mean, I know people. I got friends from almost every country in the world. People and people I've actually shook hands and met. You know what I mean? Isn't that awesome that you've traveled the world because of car audio? It is. Hey, I'm going to show you something real cool. Hang on one second. So excited. All right, here's your chance to become a millionaire. See that? The Berlin, what do you see there? Berlin Wall? What is that? Oh, you're so close. 
Really? You see, you see that's curved, right? That that stone. So when I was in Greece, and we were up on top at the Acropolis, so I, all the countries I go to, I always collect a rock about the size of a marble, and I have friends that travel, and they all bring me back a rock. One of my my kids' softball hitting coach, um, he's older and retired, he still gives her lessons, and uh, he and his wife travel a lot. Um, like once a month, they're going somewhere, and so now he's like, "Yeah, I don't go on vacation. I go rock finding for Gary. <laughs> That's what it's called." <laughs> so, anyways, I'm in. We're in Greece, and uh, we're up on the Acropolis. And I walk over. You know, they're they're like restoring this thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I just thought, man, does this big thing does it vibrate? You know, does it wiggle or what? This giant column, and uh, this rock like fell out in my hand. And so I took it. Look, right here, it's kind of hard to see. But right there, that's that's a groove. So this thing's big around, you know, it looks like it's got grooves. I mean, that is a piece of that thing. That's so cool. So I might get locked up after this. You're going to get a text. <laughs> You're going to get a text from me next time we're overseas. And I'm going to be like, hey, do you have a, a, <laughs> right. a pebble from uh, Nice? <laughs> I'll be like, hey, bring it back. So, so you know, I'm I collect old car audio. I collect rocks. I collect baseball cards. Um, What's your best baseball card? I have uh, a full collection of all the Mickey of everything Mickey Mantle all graded. Nineteen fifty-two Topps rookie card. Do you have yep. one? Yep. Really? And I have full sets of all Topps from fifty-eight to present. So you got a you got you got a fifty-two Mickey Mantle rookie card. Yeah. In fact, I'll show you. I can I can uh, I can probably find a video here of of my of the collection, and they're all graded. That's like the holy grail of baseball cards. Yeah, there's second, second, second holy grail. What's the I'll uh, I'll find the video Hon- and Honus I'll, Wagner. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'll, okay. I'll find the video and and uh, text it to you. Now, you know my uh, my mantle collections. Everything spreads from a a one grade to a three grade, depending on what it is. It's not super high end, but they've increased their value tremendously over the last several years. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, so I got my ball card collecting started in high school. A good friend of mine was Tim Bench. His uncle was Johnny Bench. Um, So Tim had cool cards that he we gave us traded. I bought some, and then one day, me and one of my buddies was in the library, geeking out on on ball cards. And our junior high principal walked by, and he saw us in there, and he's thinking, "All right, these dudes are usually causing trouble. What are they doing in here?" Right. Mm -hmm. So he comes in and sees those cards. And so we didn't know at the time, but he played pro ball for the Phillies. So the next day he comes in with all these old cards from the 50s. And so he had like three and four of everything, but he didn't have any of the newer stuff. So we traded with him a lot of the new stuff for some old stuff. So that's where I got some of my original old stuff. But yeah, I got uh, uh, same thing, Hank Aaron, William A. I mean, all the, all the, you know, super players, I've, I've got all their cards. Yeah. Awesome. So, anyway, so that's back to being able to travel and all that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, I think about it all the time about all the cool stuff that I've got to do and people I know and places I've been and, you know, just all that stuff. I I mean, I would have never been able to do anything if it wasn't for, for this, this job. I think there's a good message here, Gary, Gary Bell. I'm, I got to distinguish who I'm talking to. Which, when I which GB on. you're talking to? Yeah. 
you know, for like all the younger people, because we have such a diverse people that listen to this. We have enthusiasts, we have DIYers, we have shop people, we have salesmen, we have installers, you know, we have every single demographic really listening to this podcast. And my parents. And Gary's parents, Gary Bell's parents. But just, I think the same thing every guest has in common is just immense passion, right? Passion is what gets us through all the dark times of everything that we've ever gone through in this industry. And passion is what is always going to make you succeed, right? And I think that people listening, if they are younger installers or salesmen, they already have passion because they've sought this out to listen to them in their free time. So just like understand that that passion, and this kind of goes to like Chip Foose's keynote, that he had at the expo is sometimes you just got to give even though you're not getting it back at that very moment. So just keep giving and giving and giving and investing in your passion. And eventually at some point there's going to be a payoff. And the payoff is comes in so many, so many faces and forms. Absolutely. Without, without a doubt. I mean, just all kinds of, you know, used to when, uh, when, when we were, when Andy and I worked for Harmon, and uh, and when the, all the sales and marketing offices was in um, out on Long Island at in Woodbury, and like whenever I would go up there, Gary coming to town, you know, Andy wanted to you know make sure I was entertain or whatever, and you know the company would have uh, different tickets for basketball, you know, different you know stuff, and you know it was always. Uh, well, we know Gary's coming to town, you know what I mean, <laughs> when the tickets aren't available to somebody else. <laughs> um, just, you know, go, I remember, you know, going to a basketball game and Fat Joe, you know, sitting one seat over from me, you know, under the goal. Wow. I mean, just would have never, ever been able to do that on my on my own, you know what I mean? You know, the years of, you know, working with Will and those guys on, on the Unique Whips uh, show. I mean, I'm wearing one of those shirts tonight. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. The show is what it is. Um, but it was still a great experience and the people that I met, you know, because mm-hmm. of him, Andrew Jones, baseball player that played for, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Yates, the Braves, Rangers, yeah. Braves, you know, personal friends with him, um, several of his cars, cool. his father-in-law's car. You know, I've gone out to Atlanta, picked them up, brought them back to my place, worked on them, delivered them. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got jerseys, bats signed by him. You know what I mean? And just the list goes on. You know, Gary Sheffield. Mm. Just tons of those people. It ain't people I talk to every day, but we're friends in some capacity at one time. A lot of people don't can't say that. And it's all car audio. Car audio's uh, afforded all of that. You know, and it's funny. My uh, my my kid. You know, one of her friends will say something to her like, "What's your dad do?" And she's like, "Uh." Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> no kid of a car audio high. person ever knows how to explain <laughs> what their parent does. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's amazing. My, you know, my wife's got a professional job and, and I, she laughs and make, you know, pokes fun and says, you know, I don't work. Mm-hmm. And I kind of don't. You know what I mean? I do, you to, but you I don't. You have to play. Yeah. But you don't. Yeah. So it's cool. That's awesome. It's fun because like growing up, even though this isn't car audio related, but I was super big into memorabilia, right? So I was like an autograph seeker as a kid. And I grew up with a single dad. It was just me and my dad. And my dad was always the best setup guy, period, when it came to autographs. 
because somehow he would always talk to the most important people. He'd talk to players' parents somehow. He would talk to players in a bar and get them to, you know, come out and sign stuff for me. And like I was into like WWE back in the day. And somehow like he was, we, we would go to the hotels after like Raw and all that kind of stuff. And he'd be in the bar and he'd be talking to Ric Flair and just having a conversation. And then Ric Flair would come out, ignore everybody, sign my stuff, take a picture. And then he'd go up to his hotel room. Like he was the best. And I'll never forget, like my grandparents uh, lived in Winter Haven, Florida, which is where the Cleveland Indians had spring training. And this is when the Cleveland Indians were like America's team. And they had like, David Justice, Manny Ramirez, Roberto Alomar, Sandy Alomar. They had Jim Tomei, Omar Vizquel. I mean, they were like an all-star team. Kenny Lofton and my dad, he like saw Al Bunbury, who used to play for the Orioles and were from Maryland. He was like, hey, just want to talk to you. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, Al Bunbury's golfing with us at my my grandparents' country club. (laughs) And then I'm the next day in the clubhouse of spring training playing ping pong with Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomei and just getting like all their autograph like cleats and bats and stuff like that. My dad was the best setup guy when it came to memorabilia. But unfortunately, I sold a lot of stuff trying to put my wife through nursing school. So I parted ways with so much of like my memorabilia from my childhood. But all growing up through life, it was sports cards, memorabilia, all that kind of stuff. Yep. No, that's cool. Unfortunately, all my collecting went into Roger Clemens baseball cards, which are now worth nothing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're That's making the a comeback. Bell thing I've ever heard. They're making oh, a comeback. It's terrible, terrible. Yeah, oh, look. In fun. fact, here, here's something else I'll show you. Uh oh, good old show and tell. <laughs> Mickey Mantle signed baseball. Yep, real deal. Wow. And that looks like super clean too. It is. I shouldn't even be handling it. But you know what? Yeah, it's super. It ain't clean. something that I'm ever selling. I have no yeah. intention or need. I mean, if I sold it, it was, would be a last resort, and somebody would have to pay what I was wanting for it anyways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got a bunch. That's, that's a super clean one baseball. gold. Would you trade it for for the missing gold Orion amp? Uh, you know, Maybe. I might. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I might. Maybe. If anybody out there has a gold Orion amp with Gary's name on it. Yep. I might. Yeah. And God. that's a Mickey Mantle ball. I should have been more cool that day that I found the box because I bet you there was other stuff there. I got a feeling Ooh. that that shop yeah. probably somehow. They got more than the amp. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. But, man, it was like I was, you know what I mean? I was kind of like, I was pissed. I was happy. I was everything in the world to you know what I mean? Funny roller coaster of emotions. Absolutely. I'll give you a minute to put that that baseball back so it's not just sitting on your desk rolling I, around. I got it right. I set it on a this little uh, microfiber towel because I'm shocked of how clean that baseball was. <laughs> not gonna yep. find many like that. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's funny talking about that rock. So I have a I have a good buddy of mine that um, he uh, went to Saudi Arabia back. Uh, during, I don't know, 20 years ago. And I told him, I said, hey, bring me back a rock. And uh, so he, you know, he's gone for like eight months. He comes back and uh, 
Literally. I mean, I'm one of his first stops. He's like, hey, Biggs, I got you something better than a rock. And so they're on my shelf. So he's got this little vase, this little vial. It's full of sand. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. He brought me some sand back from the desert. He goes, inside is a black scorpion. I've yet to ever open it to to get to (laughs) it. I'm not going to. I think tomorrow's the day you kind of dump it out and you're seeing if he was full of shit or not. <laughs> yeah, funny. And then you report back with your findings because I'm very curious if there's actually a scorpion. Yeah, I've, seen, I've always wondered, but I'm like, eh, that dude might still be alive. I don't know. <laughs> also might be bad luck if you dump it out. Right, you know, it would be like a, some kind of, I open the yeah. top and some kind of black yeah, scorpion yeah. ghost comes out. <laughs> oh. No, I mean, I, uh, you know, as a kid, I didn't really have much. I'm not going to say we were poor, but we, you know, I mean, maybe a notch or two above it. You know, people always like, man, why you got all that stuff? Why do you keep all that stuff? Why do you save all that stuff? And um, I guess it's just, you know, as a kid, I didn't want it because I didn't know about it. You know what I mean? Now, as an adult, I know about it and I like it. I like nice things. That's why I try to do all the right things to have nice things. So I just collected i acquired if i wanted i honestly like my wife oh, what do you want for christmas i'm like nothing i mean i really have i really have everything i want because if i wanted i go get it <laughs> you know what i mean so if i wanted so I your it. massive car audio collection that you've been posting pictures of lately yep. was that stuff that you've had since it was new or have you been collecting the whole time or how did that amass so the first shop i worked at you know we sold rockford so i've always been a rockford guy and then I went to work at a shop, and we were kind of like the Orion shop. So, and everywhere I ever worked at after that, they always sold Rockford Orion. So I always was able to keep those two brands kind of in my blood. So, like that picture I showed you a while ago of the woofers and the Amprac, I still have those two 15s. I still have the Punch 45 and the OEQ one processor. I still have the wiring fuse block on top. Um, so I still have almost my original system ever you know like for example over some of the times of like the kicker builds when i had those kicker xs 100 amplifiers those five amps i still have all those amps i still have the purple amps that were uh in the car whenever um, we painted it orange and did purple amps you know i still got my jbl amps i so all the stuff i've ever had in any of my cars i've still got all of that and then along the way i've collected a lot of stuff like for example like talking about Rockford, like the Power 1000, the black one. It originally was, you know, long Power 1000. It had a caboose. The caboose was that extra panel that hid the power and ground terminal wiring and stuff. So it was just a real clean install. And then when Wayne went to work at Rockford, he, in order for him to fit those amps back there, he had to lose the caboose. And he cut the mounting tab and everything off. So, and Rockford liked that, so they started offering it without caboose. So I have black power 1000 with caboose. I have black power 1000 with no caboose. I have chrome 1000, no caboose. I have chrome terminator power 1000. The terminator was a special edition that they did for Wayne with his terminator hearse. And I have the very last ever built power 1000 chrome that Rockford ever had on the assembly line. I bought it from Ron Trout. Um, So, and I've got, um, I have, so before Rockford Fosgate was Rockford, when it was just Fosgate, 
I collected all their amplifiers, set the, all the PR amplifiers. I had the original small uh, power punch that was an underdash. And so as I collected all those, then once you have them all, what do you do? Well, you got to get better versions. So I've got them all nice brand new in the box as well. So I'm fixing <laughs> to actually sell a bunch of that stuff that's open, you know, used out of the box, but and keep the stuff that's new in the box. And then, and then I have a lot of quirky, just you know, quirky one-off stuff that I've acquired over over time. You know, when I worked at Rockford, I built my own woofer um, that was in a car, a 12-inch woofer, and I liquid cooled it. You know, I built a I built a uh, aluminum bowl that mounted between the basket and the magnet. I sealed off the the uh, bump plate, and so liquid flows all around the magnet. Um, you know, I built I hand built that myself there. You know, again, how many people can say they built their own woofer? You know what I mean? Right. Built their own liquid-cooled woofer. All my kicker. Gary Bell, next year at the Expo, we have some sort of display that has like a car audio museum. That would be People bring all their old school stuff on display on, and maybe you can factor it into something else, but people make some sort of displays that are uniform that display all the different product. Wow. That would that be super would be cool. cool, right? That that would be cool. Yeah, that's a must do. That's, that's a, a must that's do. A that'd be, that'd be very cool. That's a heck of a theme for next year. Yeah, uh-huh. if you could get all the manufacturers to like kind of have that as a theme throughout their booths. Yeah, and people can bring what they have that's iconic. Do you think Steve Brown would bring a Blackbird? <laughs> no, hundred <laughs> percent no. You know, I, did, did I ever tell you that I traded? I had a car that I traded in when I left Alpine. A couple weeks before I left Alpine, I bought a new car, and I traded in my old car, and I could have just as easily taken the Blackbird out of the radio, and I did not. Uh, <laughs> I left it and traded it in and uh, said, I'll take the extra $50 for having navigation in the car. Oh, funny. No, you know, I think that's a great idea. You need to write that down. I think next year we need to have some sort of a, like a can History of car audio. Of, of car audio. Absolutely. And everyone can just bring what they have and kind of show off the original equipment of everything back in the day. Yep. That'd be so cool. You know, Gary, uh, you being at Alpine, you you know about this, but I have Alpine cassette changers. Oh, geez. Yep. You know, there used to be one in the lobby. Yeah. And I don't know what happened to it. Those displays actually came out just out. They took them out of the lobby just after I left. And mm-hmm. I have no idea what happened to it, but they had it like a mint one in the lobby. Yep. That's that is rare. Yeah, I heard about it, but um, mine, the one I have, is the only one I've ever seen. Um, there, I know there's just, I know there's not many out there, but I have all the stuff to do an Alpine. One of these days, I'll do. I want to do a vintage correct system in the '87 Grand National, and I have Alpine uh, cassette changer. I got the security module to connect to the radio. I got Alpine 7909. I got the uh, 8080 alarm. I got the keypad. I got all the Alpine pin switches. I even have I got 3545s. Yep. I got the um, phone. I even have the little box to send and receive a fax in oh your car. <laughs> I got the dot matrix uh, printer. <laughs> I mean, literally everything. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's stuff. Sometimes I open boxes of stuff and go, I where'd that even come from? 
So apparently, oh, yeah. Gary Biggs is bringing a storage unit to Exeter's Expo <laughs> to, to, maybe. to fill in the, the car audio. Of yeah, Canton. maybe I'll just supply the museum. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I really Goodness probably gracious. Did. Holy crap! I have I have one for you. My first real amplifier I bought used from a local Rockford dealer who helped kind of mentor me and get me into the game, and it was a everybody I talked to doesn't remember this amp i'm hoping you do power 360 yep i have one and it <laughs> of course one came up on ebay and somebody had screwed with it and made a different shroud for it and stuff but yeah someday yep. I, I feel like i need one of those hanging yep. on the wall so i have one and i also have a brand new 360 heat sink that's never had a board or anything mounted in it and so mm-hmm. it's meant and the badge that says Rockford Fosgate that goes that clicks on the top of it, I got it brand new mint. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So is is that an eBay find or is that was it a shop that going out of business or something? The one I got was a shop going out of business. Oh. And recently, um, another shop that I do did some business with went, went out of business, and they were a big time Rockford dealer in the a through the eighties and early nineties, and so I got a bunch of. Uh, different manuals, service manuals, and stuff like that. I mean, Rockford, legit Rockford service man. I feel like Gary Biggs could pay admission to his house to just like walk through and see everything he's got stored around. Did I hear Graceland's for sale? Maybe we'll just yeah. move the Rockford Museum into Look, Graceland. So this is every wire schematic of all the Rockford amps, all the way back to oh, the wow. original little power punch. And here's what's wow. cool, and I had sent this to Ada, he was going to try to incorporate this into their uh, pod. Into their build, yeah. If you guys can, if I can get that close enough, drawn by Jim Fosgate. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. That's all in pencil. There's probably DNA on that paper. <laughs> Ain't that crazy? That's wild. But yeah, so this, think about it. You know, this would be in the service rack. You'd figure out whatever amp. You'd go over and open this up and go to that amp. Just crazy. Oh, look, here's something else cool. So you've seen the Maxell poster. Here's a brand new Maxell window <laughs> window shade. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the collector in you, Mister Biggs. <laughs> I, I have, love it. I have a bunch of crap, a bunch, and I hear about I it every day. Crap. I hear about it every day from my wife and kid. My kid, she has really uh, come on strong, blistering me about my ball carts. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Millions, cool. millions of cards, not just a few millions. I'm so but, mad that I've departed with everything that I've owned, baseball wise. I used to go to Cooperstown when they had the inductions and get all the autographs of all the old inductees and the new inductees, and then you make the rounds and you meet like Raleigh Fingers and get him to sign a baseball and mm-hmm. talk to Ernie Banks and get him to sign a baseball. Dude, that's my childhood in a nutshell. Yeah. So my newest quest is, um, I, since I graduated high school in 87, I took an, a full Tops 87 set, and I've been mailing cards to the players. You know, there's a deal on Facebook, uh, Through mm-hmm. the Mail, TTM, Through the Mail Autographs. And so it's kind of a, you know, it's a, a Facebook group like anything, and everybody shares addresses and stuff like that. So I'm hoping at some point to either get the whole set autographed or as close to it, I may may have to buy wow. some if somebody's you know passed on or something. 
um, that's, that's kind of that's kind of my one of my goals. Fill that whole set. That's, that would be awesome. It'd be cool. That is crazy. If you ever need some eighty-seven tops cards, I have way too many somewhere. Oh yeah, I've got. Funny thing is, when I was trying was like to get my wife through nursing school, I tried to sell everything that I owned. So I had like, I don't know what it was, maybe just like a random nineteen ninety-five signature series cards like Don Ross signature series cards signed by random players right so I was like parting each one out and I had one of a random Colorado Rocky I I forget what the name was but I sold it on eBay and then when I went to ship it (laughs) I was like hmm (laughs) because the name was the same name as the person on the card oh that's awesome I shipped like this and this how desperate I was I shipped like a dollar 50 card to Colorado to the guy that I'm pretty sure was the Colorado Rocky who was on the card. That's awesome. Can't confirm, but it was a, it was a funny story. No, that's cool. I remember, uh, at CS a few years ago, actually probably 20 years ago. Uh, I think it might've been the first or second year of Sirius XM. They had Pete Rose in the booth. Um, so, you know, I met him and got his autograph and then leaving Knowledge Fest a few months ago, sat and talked to him next to him at the airport. Oh, wow. And it was wow. funny because we were talking, and, um, I mean, he's super cool. And he's like, so, uh, you know who gave me my uh, nickname, Charlie Hustle? I said, absolutely, Mickey Mantle. He looked at me like, well, how did you know that? I said, man, I got every one of your ball cards. I got every one of his ball cards and That's everything cool. in between. So it was cool. It was a fun conversation. I told him I and I just the whole time I'm thinking get a selfie get a selfie but I just didn't you know what I mean I don't know why I just I just didn't it was to me it was good enough having the conversation you know what I mean yeah so uh, sometimes you just gotta shoot your shot to have that picture yeah yeah but it's cool back in the Cleveland Indian days when we went to those training camps following the ping pong in the locker room we then had a dinner with, it was Al Bunbury, it was my dad. I don't even know how this happened. But it was also David Justice and Holly Berry when he was married to Holly Berry. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, and I was like a seven-year-old kid. <laughs> and I'm just, I didn't even know who Holly Berry was at the time. And here I'm just like, I can't believe I'm at the Olive Garden with David Justice. <laughs> no, that's cool. Oh, man. That's cool. But it's it's nice to know that you're a memorabilia degenerate like I am. <laughs> yeah. I'll uh I'll find that video of of all those mantle cards. I'll show you. So I used to have them stacked up in my closet next to my little safe. One day I walked by and I looked and I noticed something was different. And I walked back and they were I could tell they weren't they weren't you know, they were and uh-huh. so uh I said something to my kid, my daughter. I said, hey, were you in my closet? And she was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I, I said, were you messing with my cards? Uh, I, I just took a picture. I said, of what? Oh, one of the boys in class was talking, and I told him that my dad had Mickey Mantle cards, and he didn't believe me, so I laid him out and took a picture. How'd you know? I was like, well, <laughs> not only do I know everything I have, I have a photographic memory of where it's at Mm -hmm. so anyway so all that stuff is in the safe but now that's i've had that safe about 30 years and now the battery 
isn't strong enough to kick the little deal open. Oh, so I'm no. going to have to cut that thing open to get inside. Mm. Oh, no. That was probably the only time you've ever thought about slapping your daughter in the face. Uh, <laughs> so, she, But you know what's funny is like she won't go near anything now because she thinks I got eyes all over yeah. the place. <laughs> Keep them guessing. Yeah, she's a good kid, but it was funny. Mm. She couldn't believe I, I recognized that. So other than Another One Bites the Dust, what are the next two songs that you would use to judge a system for yourself? Because oh. we keep a rolling Spotify playlist of what each guest kind of says of what their tracks are. And Gary mm-hmm. is now grabbing a, a pen and paper so he doesn't make a listener. <laughs> Write this down. Oh, you know, um, it's Matt, you forgot. Mind. You forgot your magic tricks, Matt. You know, another song that I like a lot, and it may be just be a part of it. Is, you know, I'm a Lionel Richie fan. Um, Penny okay. Lover is a good one. I like. Okay. You know, and it's not necessarily like critical listening or nothing like that, but I feel like I just feel like I know his voice well enough mm-hmm. to know mm-hmm. if a sound system, you know, is reproducing um, that well enough. Um, and then, uh, golly, it's a, such a good question. Probably there's several tracks. This might sound silly. Um, several, uh, Garth Brooks songs. Obviously, you know, Garth is a, a local, yeah. um, from here and I'm friends with, with his wife. I've done systems, um, in her car and stuff and, and their, their kids' cars. So, you know, I'm kind of maybe, uh, intimate or sensitive to the, to the voice, so I know it and I recognize it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's really that's it. You know, I'm not a I'm not a tiki. I don't tweak out and listen to try to put a piano track in everybody's car. You know what I mean? Um, that's mm-hmm. that's not me. Um, that that's fine and all, but you know, there's just there's probably a handful of songs. Like I said, a couple songs from Lionel Richie, Penny Lover is a good one. Queen, uh, like I said, another one bites the dust. And these are songs too. You know what I mean? I've just just been around them and heard them forever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, I just, mm-hmm. I just recognize. I feel like them that's how most of our, yeah, you know, playlists are. It's not really for, yeah, super yeah. critical listening. It's more or less because we know the song and we know how it should perform. And, um, but so, the, but what you just said reminded me of something. So years ago, this is you know late, late nineties, mid nineties, early late nineties, early two thousands. You know, I'm building all these cars for all these guys. And I built many cars that won USAC and Iasco World Championships through the through the '90s, well before my car ever started winning. You know, I would always be on stage. You know, fifth place, fourth place, third place, second place, third place. You know, it wasn't until 1999 that I won uh, first finals, and then you know I won like every one that I competed in. Um, after that, you know, like seven or something. But part of the reason at that time that I wasn't able to win. And it took me a while to figure it out. Was really I was spending all my time building everybody's cars, and building my car, but I didn't understand tuning. I didn't understand what sound quality was. And we were connected with some pretty good tuning guys. You know, Greg Davis that was at Kicker at the time. I mean, he's a great musician, guitarist. Um, you know, plays instruments, and so he, you know, was in a band and different things. So just really good at knowing music, knowing what it's supposed to sound like. When he hears a guitar, you know, he knows, oh, that don't sound like it's supposed to or whatever. And I kind of felt like 
I got the short end of the stick because all these other cars I was building, they all won. Well, you know, mm-hmm. there was plenty of butt time in those cars tuning and not as much butt time in mine tuning. I felt like I was getting a short end of the stick. So I figured I got to learn. I got to learn how to how to tune. Well, my oldest daughter, we signed her up for guitar lessons. And so I would, you know, I would take her. And so as she's learning to play guitar, I'm learning to play guitar. And the first song that they that he, that particular instructor taught was Smoke on the Water. Easy song. He claims it's the easiest song that anybody in the world can learn to play it, blah, blah, blah. And it's true because I was, you know, I learned to play it. Um, so what I would do is I'd sit in my garage and I would... Well, first of all, I remember having Tim, a guy I worked with, he, we went over to his house and we recorded me playing Smoke on the Water, put it onto a disc, and then I could play that back and I could sit in my car and burn, burn, burn. And so that's, I didn't like know how to tune. I just equalized the system to sound like that guitar sounded. And that really took up so much of the space that, um, you know what I mean? I was able to kind of tune my car. And once I did that, and once my car started doing better, then I started getting the help that I needed from some of the other guys that, you know, in our circle that was helping with tuning. So I guess one of the things is a lot of installers and people, you know, they can build amazing stuff, but they don't know how to tune or they're not comfortable in tuning or they don't know how to tune. Well, you can figure it out easy enough. Just use things at your disposal. Mm-hmm. And I got that idea by some judge, I don't recall who, they even were joking, saying, man, just get you some pots and pans and bang on them and record them and then see how it sounds in your car. See if it's got the same, you know, reverberance and everything when you hit mm-hmm. that pan. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true. You know, you don't have, because here's the deal, let's be honest. You can sit down in any car and listen to any music, and unless you know that artist or you been there and heard them live intimately close how do you know mm-hmm. what you know what i mean i mean i don't know how many people have ever truly listened to uh uh what's her name rebecca pigeon in real mm-hmm. life and but yet you're going to put cd in the car and tell me if she sounds right. good or not right mm-hmm. i mean come on yeah it's a great point more simpler ways of doing that and more complicated ways too but you just got to take your destiny kind of into your own hand when it comes to to tuning and it's all subjective um you know, and like back in the day, you know, and I still got them. You know, like I said, I save everything. I got a stack probably this thick of, of IASCA and USAC judging score sheets. You know, if you were ever in my car, I've got your notes. I know what you liked and what you didn't <laughs> like. But so uh, something else that that reminded me of several times, people used to say, man, what is your biggest secret to competition, to winning? I'm like, what do you mean? They're going, man, what's your biggest secret? I said, man, I used to always keep a cassette recorder under my seat. (laughs) So I knew who I knew who liked me. I knew who did not like me. (laughs) I knew what they liked. I knew what they didn't like. And uh, yeah, and I still have that cassette recorder in my top of my toolbox. I don't know Mm. if it works. Probably the belts are probably bad. Um, But yeah. So I would. uh, If you have some of those tapes, we we might want to start. That's a great nugget. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So yeah, how many how many people are wincing right now? Probably a bunch. Will 
Uh, probably a bunch because I can tell you there's dudes that have sat in my car and I don't even know if they judge the car because they're too busy talking about the chicks walking around and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, and, uh, you know, just, but it's amazing because what you're doing is um, if you have four judges that are going to listen to your car, you, you better figure out how to make it sound great for them. And if they like lots of bass, well, then you bump up the bass. If they don't like very much treble, then you you learn to back it down. Um, so that's a part of it. You know what I mean? You gotta you gotta know your competition. It's no different than the Dallas Cowboys sending, you know, mm-hmm. scouters out to video and you know what I mean every game going on out there or whatever. Or I love pitchers. how much competition that we've revealed behind the scenes on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like everyone has told their intimate details of how they competed <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, that's a good nugget. I like that. That's. Probably one of the most clever things that I've heard yet. <laughs> yeah. I always heard rumors about people doing that, but I, I never had anybody confirm them until now. Oh yeah, well, most people aren't going to like blast it, and I'm not going to point <laughs> fingers at anybody. But you know, let's. But Gary Biggs is a man of the people. He's going <laughs> to let people know what happened. <laughs> you, you learn who some people are. Like I said, what's amazing is you find out who really don't like you. You'd be surprised. Yeah. For, for whatever reason, oh, that guy's an asshole. Man, I'm not an asshole. I'm just, I'm in battle. You know what I mean? I don't, I'm trying to make sure that, because back then, you know, I'd have four rain EQs in my car, a pair for sound quality, one for RTA, and one for SPL. And I'd have a six by nine in the rear deck that nobody knew about that was hooked to a little amp that was to one of the RTA EQs. So when I went to RTA, only that six by nine played. Because it's easy to make one speaker have a smooth, flat response. It's hard to make a woofer and mids. I and feel mid like bass Gary was the biggest sneaky competitor back in the day. Because <laughs> I've learned that he used the tape recorder. He had the subwoofer up front for a while that nobody knew about. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So you know, you got to make sure that okay, I got to turn my EQ my or turn my sound cue system off turn the RTA system on and then after that you're turning it off and turning the subwoofer system on one small move and now the judges are listening to a 6 by 9 coming from the back so, so how many how many times have you messed up something that caught that, that got you the L because you, you you didn't set it up right for I don't, the right time yeah, no, no, I luckily always double well so I was even sneakier I would have so like like all the EQs, you know, had an on-off, and I would run a little LED up to the dash that when that EQ was on, that LED would be on, and I'd put resistors on them so those LEDs were barely. I mean, only I knew what they were, so I could easily. And so what's funny is I just saw somebody post a picture that was in a magazine of me sitting on the side of the car looking at the dash, and even. The caption says, Gary giving his system a one last look over or something. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm trying to make sure that I got the right amps turned on right now. (laughs) Um, So, so, you know, I couldn't have been the only one. I know other guys were doing it. A lot of guys won't admit it, but like like kick panels in the car. Uh, One time we had an international judges committee with judges from all over the world. And after the show was over, I mean, they all came over to me. Oh, Gary, we're, we're, we, ha- we have a bet on what speakers you have in your car. I'm like, how much money are we talking? 
And I said, I said, I'll tell you what, however much money y'all are betting, I said, I'll bet you guys the same amount of money that none of you can guess it correctly. And everyone was like, all right, you're on, you're on. So this is no lie. I took them over there and I put them in the car one at a time. And I pulled the dash grill off, no speakers. I pulled the under dash grill off, no speakers. I pulled the kick panels off and then they saw the speakers. But the kick panels are in there on like 45 degree angles. That ain't what the pods are. The pods are on in there on different, totally different angles. So what you see is not what you're listening to. And so, you know, people think there's horns. They think there's mid. They, the list goes on of what, you know, people have thought. And I did that on purpose. The reason when I built that dash, um, it's got the grill on the top and that grill across the bottom because I didn't really know what I was going to do. You know what I mean? I didn't really know what I would end up doing with angles or this or that. But also at the same time, I'm like, you know what? Because I had my tape recorder, and hearing guys say, "Yeah, he's got a horn." You know, judges talking. Oh man, those horn, those are beautiful sounding horns. Never heard horns sound so seamless like that coming out of the top of the dash. I'm like, there ain't no horns in there. I always wanted to use horns, but I didn't know enough about them. You know what I mean? I wasn't going to experiment. You know, I didn't have the time to experiment with it. So part of it is just, hey, if you think there are speakers in the top of the dash, yeah, they're there. If you think they're in the bottom, they're they're there too. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> Wherever you want them to be. Right, right. So that's that was always my my approach. But yeah, it's it's amazing what and competitors. You know, when I stopped competing, it was amazing how many more friends I had. <laughs> who, who was your biggest uh, nemesis or pain in your side as you competed? Oh, man. Uh, so there was a guy from, I think he was South Carolina, North Carolina. This is early. No, no, this would be late 90s, mid 90s, late 90s. Man, I could not beat this guy. His name was Brantley Miller. And Brantley was a cool dude. He had a green Pontiac Firebird, or maybe it was a Trans Am. I would talk to judges like, no, your car sounds better. I'm like, man, I don't get it. So one day, I'm like, man, F this. So when he's doing his presentation to the judges, I'm up in his business, just like I'm a judge. And dude, and it wigged him out. He's like, kept thinking, what are you doing here? Get out of here, shoe fly. And I stayed right there. And so I learned everything about his car. So guess what? A month later, when we're at the same show again, all the little tricks and bells and whistles that that dude had, now I've got them. So then I was able to, to start beating him whenever I could match him up on install. And it wasn't that his install was better than mine. The solid foundation was there. I just didn't have the little tricks. You know what I mean? Like a voltage gauge on you know with a temperature sensor on the back of every speaker you know what i mean and this and that which by the way sounds silly but you know people talk about oh letting their system warm up or whatever so what i learned about that is when you turn your car on after you turn your vehicle on tomorrow morning your speakers are cold your amps are cold everything's cooled down right as everything warms and heats up everything changes and the biggest change is your speakers the impedance rises you no longer have a 4 ohm mid-range it's 7 or 8 or 10 ohm or something and if you were tuning your car for hours and hours and that speaker is really warm and whatever and you're tuning everything to that amount of power right coming out of your amp and such then 
And that's your reference sound quality presentation. Well, you need to achieve that. Because if you go into the lanes and just turn it on, it ain't going to sound necessarily the same. So, you know, when I'd be in the lanes, my car never turned off. The sound system never turned off. It was on from the minute I got in the lanes till I was judged. You know, you could feel the heat coming off of everything in there. Um, so that's a, a layman's simple way of, you know, talking about, you know, everything. And the SPL guys get it. They call it box rise, but, you know, impedance rise of the speakers, electronics, whatever. Um, so just all those little things. You, A lot of guys don't know that or, or whatever, but, you know, now with DSP, um, you know, you, uh, uh, same thing. You know what I mean? It's just you don't have to worry about so many factors, I don't, I don't think. Just like my car even now. Whenever I got home and downloaded it out of the trailer, I turned it on, and it sounded different than what I remember it sounding like after it's been on, you know, like all day at the expo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's a, what's the dirtiest uh, trick you ever heard somebody else using? Oh, man. You don't have to name names. What's the, what's the dirtiest rumor that went around? You know, they, it wasn't uh, out of mind for, you know, guy, a lot of guys to have hidden hidden products, hidden amplifiers. So one time I built a competition system. Me, me I'm, I'm not going to say any names because that will give this away. And I don't want to do that. Myself and someone else... A good friend of mine built a competition car for a company, for a competitor. And um, it was all a certain brand of speakers and amplifiers. It was a company that made everything. And when it was said and done, they had shipped us speakers from this other company and this company and that company. Amplifiers of a different brand in their heat sinks ridiculous ridiculous but it was one of them deals hey they want to win at all costs and they know that they're they got a product that maybe maybe ain't uh you know as par as it should be um so that was pretty pretty snaky and pretty pretty stinky but you know what i mean a lot of people like did did similar things it was also different back in the day when everything was based off of power classes and there was a lot of room to cheat with right you know Right. And like I said, like my car, when I had five XS100s back there, I had one amplifier uh, going through a pair of passes to a pair of tweeters and a pair of mids, The another amp going to a subwoofer. That left three amplifiers. So one of those amps ran the 6x9 that was for my RTA. You know what I mean? <laughs> so s- sneaky and cheating? Not really. The amplifier is right there in front of you. Um, I just didn't show the 6x9 mounted in the rear deck. <laughs> <laughs> Did you skip that part in your install presentation? You know, they only give you seven minutes, so yeah, I just didn't get that far. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> um, but, you know, a lot of that stuff, people keep pretty tight to themselves. You know, unless you're pretty close. If you're in the circle of of somebody or, you know, like, like me, you know, a lot of cars that I built were also built kind of off the same foundation of how I built mine. You know what I mean? So, uh it wouldn't be uncommon for me to hide a six foot iron for RTA for you know another competitor. Or back then, you weren't able to make adjustments. So we'd have a, for SQ, we'd have the woofer wired, a dual four ohm woofer wired in series. So it's eight ohm. So you really got to turn that amp up to get some output going to it for SQ. And then have a relay bank with one of those big Jacobs 
resistors to switch it to one ohm. You know what I mean? So now you're getting 10 times the power out of your amp. And But, you know, you weren't supposed to make any adjustments, so that might be as simple as having an alarm tilt sensor or impact sensor that's just the sensor by itself strapped to your steering column. So when you get out, you bang your steering wheel kind of hard. It triggers that, <laughs> that relay that now switched <laughs> the amp in the back. <laughs> so, but again, you got to have that little LED hidden or you don't know if it happened or not. <laughs> Uh, lots of stuff like that, and I know I love this podcast. I mean, you know, and <laughs> I everybody love the stuff that I learned, <laughs> and the stuff that I learned about people, because obviously, I wasn't around during those times, and I've just got to envision all the different people competing back in the day, and that fills in all the null and voids for me. Where obviously I was a child when all that happened, but just to see the ruthless competition and the sneakiness. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I it was a big love. deal to win back then. I, mean, I know. Was... I love it. I love it. But I get to see everything that everyone has in common. Yeah. And all the things that you guys did paved the way of the opportunities that has allowed me to make this a career, right? Because if you guys didn't do all that, car audio wouldn't have been a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what no, I'm saying? No, I had agree. to take people like you guys to make car audio a thing for it to continue generations yeah absolutely i agree you know it's every every industry racing think of the all the right stuff yeah. those dudes yeah, do yeah, yeah. you know uh-huh. um i remember uh, a buddy of mine down a lot in years ago he had a complete wet nitrous system plumbed on the inside of his intake manifold and the line went out the very back by the distributor i mean you did not know it was you know, he had nitrous on that thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, so every... Yeah, I mean, it's very true. Every industry, every sport has its uh, its little little something. But probably probably amplifiers is probably the biggest deal. You know, guys would put uh, a cheater amp in a regular heat sink or something. Uh, and, you know, there's really no way of knowing unless you take it apart. And you ain't, ain't nobody's got time for that. Like I said, I'm sure everybody had their little their little things. Not many people will talk about it. I think it's funny. I, I can just care. see Matt with the clickbaity title for this podcast of like the lid blown off of car audio competition <laughs> in the eighties. <80s." laughs> yeah. Yeah. Deep uh, secrets revealed. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's it's a image of Chris Hansen, not even Gary Biggs. <laughs> just like <laughs> sit sit down. Let's talk. <laughs> We yeah. got to discuss some stuff. No, it's yeah, it's, it's awesome, um, man. The friends, the friendship, just all the cool stuff. I mean, you know, my, Brian and all you guys putting together the uh, Master Tech Expo. I mean, what a what a unreal show, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's Matt's too young for this, but to me, it felt it really felt like the vibe of like a cool spring break nationals or something where like back in the day and the, the vibe is there, the people are there, the, the energy's there. Everybody is there with the same Intent. thought, yeah. dream, desire, want to the want. That's the biggest deal. They could change the name. Brian could change that to the want to, because everybody there wants to do and be a part of the same thing. There's not a, CS, mm-hmm. SEMA, mm-hmm. I don't care. 
the percentage yeah. of people there with the very same, uh, you know, want vision, you know, vision and passion. Yeah. Like I've tried to describe to other people is just one. It's engaging like no other event. It's just always engaging. Because obviously you have the AV guys there when they have the build-offs or the keynote. They're just switching between camera angles and it feels like you're watching a TV show when you're sitting there in the audience. So even the vendors are like watching the screen and they're being entertained while they're sitting there entertaining the people walking around. So that's number one. And then obviously number two is just the event in general. You're getting such a diverse background, especially with all the different vendors being there in one space so close to each other right so it generally if you go to a SEMA or a CES and you have to talk to all these different vendors and this laser company that CNC company like you're traveling all over the place to talk to all these people and this is all within a you know a hundred yard walk to talk to every vendor to talk to every tech company everyone that is really inclusive within your industry at this point in time there's no other event like it period no there's there's not and uh i mean it's just awesome to for there to be that awesome to be a part of it and just the friends i mean because you look around and and facebook is very helpful because when you look around you either you either know everybody or you know everybody you know what mm-hmm. I mean? and i think that's that's really cool you know because there's people there's people that i know that I only knew from Facebook groups and stuff and then and you respect them and you see them and now you're able to talk and communicate like you've really been friends your whole lives because you know mm-hmm. something and enough about them and everything. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Ada's a good example. You know, I knew Ada from Facebook and stuff for years before I ever met the guy and, uh, and we talk all the time. I feel like we're good friends. Mm-hmm. You know, just just stuff like that. I think it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I also dig the um, the build off stuff because that's in such a short period of time to see what those guys are doing. It's somewhat reminiscent of like old installer challenge days and um, just kind of that thrash and that push to outdo each other. And that's that reminds me of that late eighties, early nineties competition vibe and that we're we're gonna push as hard as we can mentality that was you know yeah I, i'm past that i'm over that i don't want to do that anymore but it's fun to watch the uh the whippersnappers do it absolutely i remember the uh the first select products uh installer challenge and uh it was me jeremy carlson in up in kansas city he and jeremy are good friends and used to work together uh nolan minnie from new orleans and um uh, can't believe I can't think of his name now. Anyways, we you know we had our team, and um, you know we did a complete trunk fiberglass build, painted everything, and I mean it was unreal. Forty eight hours, absolutely unreal, and uh, our team was thunder buttons, and uh, it was we, I mean we had a great time, and then. Like the next year, they incorporated an SPL build off. And so we took Jeremy and I, we took our NN, we took our sound quality install team, we did the SPL and won it. <laughs> oh, wow. And what we did, which was, was pretty funny because uh, 
not many, I don't know if any SPO guy, I don't know of any SPO guy teams or guys at the time did what we did. But we took that van and we built a big box and we, uh, with no back and no front. So it was just a big frame box, about four layers of MDF thick. And then we built a baffle on the front for the woofers and we divided it two thirds, two thirds to one third, mounted all the woofers into two thirds and had this big door looking port. And then the back wall, we built it like six inches thick. It was literally like 10 layers of three quarter inch MDF. And we had it where we could slide it all the way up and all the way back to adjust the volume of the box. So we just put it in there and we ran test tones and we found the test tone that was loudest and we moved that thing back and forth until it was loudest. And it, we were done, like in no time at all. And I don't remember, and it was Sony product, I don't remember what the SPL was, but it was like four or five dB louder than the SPL guys. Um, That's awesome. But I learned my lesson that those are for the birds. <laughs> that was probably back when three quarter MDF was $12 a sheet. Or less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those were good times. And on the way, so this, this will date things because guys use super glue and, and super T or zip kicker and stuff today. Like, like, they started installing like babies drinking milk on that stuff, but at that time, that was a that was an unheard thing. Between Tulsa and Daytona Beach, we stopped at probably six or seven or eight hobby shops at every hobby major shops. city, buying all their super glue and all their zip kicker, and that was in our secret box. We were allowed to have a little oh, secret gosh. box, so yeah. our secret box was full of super glue, zip kicker, and our paint. I feel like Gary Biggs had the most secretive secret box (laughs) of any installer challenge that ever existed. There was just so many secrets in there. There was a book from (laughs) zero AD of just tricks. Hold on, hold on. Matt, have you ever had to go to the hobby store to get CA glue? I have, yes. Okay, good. I have done that. So we, uh, you know, we started building and and stretching fiberglass and I'm we're gluing and stuff and I mean it was it was really amazing how many guys there were their eyes were like flying saucers what is that what is that uh and then the next thing you know like a week later Rob Gars is selling super glue like I, I swear he still owes Jeremy and I royalties on that yeah but those were good times I mean we uh we had a good time Jeremy's a good guy. I've you know known Jeremy for a long time. Way goes all the way back before that. Does um, he know about your Garth Brooks connection? You know, I think he does. We've talked about it before. Um, I know he's in love. Yeah, because <laughs> I feel like he'd stuff. talk to you way more if he knew about your Garth Brooks connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's stories I probably can't tell. <laughs> I gotta be careful <laughs> who I incriminate. <laughs> uh-huh. uh. How are you holding up, Maddie? I know it's late. You're you're even an hour ahead of Gary. You good or you want to? We'll wrap it up. We could probably talk all night. Yeah. We're, I mean, again, we can obviously. Have it's easy when, when you get there in the groove and it's just all passion coming out. We can always do another one. It's fun. Add it to the greatest hits. I don't think it's any uh, coincidence that you and Andy will probably have had the longest podcast between <laughs> all the different guests. Which is probably why you guys were such a great match. Match coming up with, you know, the whole audio for all. You know, so uh, the story with me and Andy goes back a long time ago. This goes back to we didn't know we knew each other. 
But this goes back to, remember my customer Vince that I was talking about with the Mustang? Mm-hmm. When we started running around chasing contests, he had also built a car for a girl named Maggie Cry. And I think it was like a little Mazda MX-6 or something, if there was a such thing back then. I don't remember. And Maggie won everything. Now, this is when Andy was in El Paso working for Music Systems, um, which was, you know, a pretty legit, you know what I mean? It was it was kind of the speaker works of that part of the country, kind of like, you know, up here we were, you know, the speaker works of our part of the country. So Andy... Uh, built her car that was a big claim to uh, of a competition car that he had so she won everything in her area Vince would win everything up here in our area and then once in a while they would cross paths and compete and she'd beat him one time and he'd beat her the next time um, and then later on uh, Andy went to work for Harmon after he left music systems and he was uh, not real sure his job title like director of tech services for infinity i think he replaced rich cole at the time when rich left um, but it was infinity then later on he took also took on the, the jbl brand so we kind of knew each other kind of like i knew who built maggie's car i think and he kind of knew who built the car but uh and then one time when andy was at infinity he came to car toys and i don't remember he said something that was quirky i'm like this dude's a dipshit you know what I mean? <laughs> but little did I know I was the dipshit because he knew what he was talking about. It was just something that I never knew of, never heard of, never been taught or told or whatever. Um, and so when I realized what a dummy I was and how smart he was, I had a different appreciation for him. And we slowly become friends. And then as time went on, um, then we ended up working together. And, and he was a huge advocate of of Harmon hiring hiring me and, you know I mean we're we're good friends I mean we've we've had our situations where we gripe and fuss at each other I mean he's really one of my you know what I mean one of my better friends uh he's a good guy he's a smart guy he's forgot more than most people will ever know you know like a lot of guys how, how long is your average phone conversation with them uh you know the last time we actually talked was probably a couple months ago it was probably a 15 or 20 minute call but now at Master Tech um, we hung out quite a bit. I we drove around and I helped him. Uh, we went and rounded up some stuff, but we generally have pretty good conversation. So my final question is, how how bitter would you be if Andy calls you and he says, "Hey Gary, I just want to say I'm sorry, but we've discontinued the GB line of speakers." Okay. And you're like, Andy, okay, so they're discontinued. What what's the new line of speakers? And he says, We're we're doing the AW speakers. <laughs> How would you feel? Honestly, it would not bother me any, to be hundred percent honest with you. And Andy does have some AW speakers in the uh uh in the pro line of products oh. that's available overseas. Oh uh, not, this not is, being sold here. This is groundbreaking news. <laughs> and it's the pro yeah. line. Yes. Not the ch- not the <laughs> BS car audio stuff. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. No, it's funny. You know, people ask me all the time, hey, GB, Gary Biggs. And, you know, it's it's funny. I, uh, I honestly, you know what I mean? It's I no more, no less. I mean, really, if he, <laughs> I mean, he got to do what he wants to do or got to do and, 
you know. It is cool though. It is cool though that you have that kind of stamp and you're just like, yeah, GP, that's that's me. I have my own speaker. Pretty, you know, pretty it, cool. I like that. Pretty cool. It's you know, it's probably the coolest with uh you know, guys like that I went to school with. You know what I mean? Guys that, you know, they're doing their own thing and I'm doing my thing and you know, like uh you know, man, I'm real lucky. Just like having all these car audio friends around the country and the world and all the things I got to do. I also have about five or six buddies from high school and we're all really close still. In fact, one guy, uh, I talk to him literally every day since high school, maybe multiple times a day. And most of the time, in fact, he was just sending me a message while ago. We, we have an ongoing cut down fight. (laughs) So as you can imagine (laughs) for for 35, 40 years. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I'm pretty sure I'm winning. Um, <laughs> but so, but we're great friends. You know, I've been there for him through thick and thin. He's been there through for me through thick and thin. Um, we've got another handful of buddies, you know, anytime, uh, it seems like lately it's, you know, when, when somebody's parent passes or something like that is why well, we're more often getting together. Um, but we all get together all the time. And a couple of these guys are coaches in high school. Uh, some of them have their own small business, different things, and everybody's successful in their in their own ways. And these guys, they just shake their head and go, dude, you're still playing with car audio. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, you know, you're right. I'm playing with car audio. It ain't like I'm busting hump working and doing all that. It's work, but it's different. You know, it's just a different kind of mm-hmm. work. I mean, I don't even know really how to describe it. What we do, we're so lucky. You guys, myself, all those guys that were at Master Tech and all the guys that didn't attend. Man, we're just, how lucky is it to really honestly do what we do? Because you know what? My dad was a brick and rock mason. That dude got up at the crack of dawn and was on the job site. And it could be cold outside, hot outside, raining outside, everything in between. And you know what I mean? He's out working in the elements. Mm -hmm. And that's the same for a lot of people's parents and people today. Um, We don't have to do that. You know what I mean? We're lucky. We're so, so lucky. And, you know, to work for a great company, you're, you're lucky. And to rep work for a rep company and have great lines, you're lucky compared to, you know, you could have a bunch of inferior products or whatever. And to be part of launching and creating a brand and it being successful. I mean, how cool is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, every company started that way at some point. But yeah, it's it's cool to be a part of that, to have been a part of that without a without a doubt. But it is what it is. Got anything else, Gary Bell? I I don't. I don't. I'm speechless. How often am I speechless? <laughs> I feel yeah, we like covered a lot of ground. Again, I feel like we Gary did. Biggs is the most interesting man in car audio. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I don't think it'll be the last time we have him on. You're very so sneaky, a... and the next time that I'm ever in another country, I'm going to be just scouring the rocks around me, just being like, I wonder what Gary oh, needs yeah. for his collection. Something the size of a golf ball. Okay. And... Uh, you know, and that's that's it. I'm, I like that stuff. I'm cool. I've got my uh, uh, my uh, stepsister. They were uh, overseas in uh, Egypt or somewhere, not not too terribly long ago. And she brought me back some, a couple rocks. One from the Great Sea and another one. And I mean, just just cool stuff. You know what I mean? But until somebody, <laughs> until right. somebody can duplicate that, that's right, the, the prize right. piece uh-huh. right there. 
Yeah, I, uh, I knew I was probably going to have to go to security or something going through checkpoint on the at the airport, but no, they never nothing. Right on through. I'm going to get arrested for chipping off the edge of the Notre Dame for for care. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Next yeah, time I'm in Paris. Yeah. You know, Matt, Matt and yeah. I are lucky enough that it, occasionally listeners send us bottles of yeah. uh, whiskey to, to try out. And all, next thing you know, things are just going to start showing up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was about to literally say the same thing because of this podcast, people are going to send you random rocks from all over the country and right. um, rocks in the mail. We get bottles of whiskey you know, from all over I, the country. Yeah. I'm cool with that. So, you know, like I said, my dad was a brick and rock mason. So he always had a, in the backyard, like a rock garden, you know, with different, uh, different types of stones from different parts of the country or this, you know, Oklahoma, you know, that people were building their homes with. So I don't know, maybe that's where I picked up that collecting thing or something. I don't know, but you know, it's fun. It's cool. It's, uh, and it keeps you connected. You know what I mean? Keeps you connected. So what would be your holy grail of stones? Oh, either man. what the moon or Stonehenge. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I might would have I might could have a piece of Stonehenge in the backyard. <laughs> no, so about uh, less than a month ago, we had a huge meteor that came buzzing through um, our area. Are you sure it in wasn't fact, a Boeing a bomb? <laughs> you ever seen Joe People, Dirt? Um, yeah, <laughs> this is just a big old um, chunk of poopy. Just a big old oh, chunk. Gosh. So people um, on their. Uh, 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 rain on their doorbell uh, cameras you could see that thing come streaking across the sky and it came straight right above our neighborhood but it actually landed about uh, maybe 40 miles oh, from wow. here and the guy found they found a piece of it about the size of a baseball I was like damn I want that <laughs> I want that rock yeah that's cool um, but yeah I gotta text you I yeah. feel like I've caught it was like four years ago. I feel like I caught the greatest video of all time of a meteor streaking through the sky on my doorbell camera. I think yeah. it might be the best video that's ever existed of a meteor flying through the sky. It is. Wow. Spectacular. Yeah. Get it. Send it to me. Yeah, that's cool. That's stuff. I like that stuff. I'm not really a, you know, extraterrestrial geek or nothing, but that stuff. You know, I like it. It's kind of cool. Well, man, I appreciate you guys having me on. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, it was fun. Thanks for uh, thanks for spending a, a few hours with us. Well, and sorry it, we spent all this time, but it was cool. It was fun. Yeah. Maybe the no, next awesome. time we have you on, we have Andy on at the same time, and we do kind of like we we pull some quads, a quad I was, podcast. I was I was going to say that that might fun. have to go on a weekend yeah. and might need to be in. <laughs> turn into an eight-hour podcast yeah that'd be fun we could have it might it might have to be an r r-rated yeah. version <laughs> podcast uh, after dark uh, right there you go no it was definitely awesome. fun and awesome. uh it was cool hearing all the stories and i think you've been the most transparent out of all the old competitors we've had on and you will always be the sneakiest man in car audio to me personally so <laughs> I appreciate that, and I appreciate your openness to to share those stories. That was fun. I do think I do think we will uh, start questioning 
other competitors when they come on a little harder. Yeah, just say, come on, we know better. <laughs> yeah, the next <laughs> the next time there's like a there's like a I ask event. There's gonna be somebody like Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad just walking through the car with the detector to see if there's anything recording. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, oh, for it's sure. so good. No, it was a lot of fun, and uh, thanks for coming on and sharing your story. And you filled in another ten percent of the old school car audio story, which has made what car audio is today. So. We definitely appreciate yeah. that. Absolutely. No, it's Thank love you. it. It's what I do. I've never really, I've never had another job. I mean, this car audio has been it. I did work at Burger King right after graduation for a little <laughs> bit. That was fun. That was a fun job. But, you know, when they tell you if you take a hamburger, it's stealing, it's stealing. <laughs> and if you do take one, make sure you take some water or soda to slug it down with because a dry hamburger you can't make disappear very easily. <laughs> Duly noted. Oh, man. All right, guys. Duly noted. All right. Well, have a good evening and uh, cue the music. All right. Take care. Thanks.